Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Knight's Errant Podcast, talking warfare in the 31st millennium. I'm your host, Brother Knight Errant Pete, and joining me as always is Brother Knight Gaz. Say hello, Gaz. All right, mate. Uh, and in a first for this podcast, this absolute shit show of a recording, we have our first ever guest, the one, the only, the American... Kinghorn. What's up, fellas? How's it going? Ah, amazing. Kyle, thank you so much for joining us. We are we're honored that you've come on the show. For those of you that don't know, Kyle used to be one of the uh, the co-hosts of I suppose the second version of 40k radio, and it arguably and it's not even arguably the best version of 40k radio podcast that used to exist. Uh Kyle's absolute honor to have you on thank you very much i know it's really early in the in the morning over where you are uh it's great to have you i I appreciate it uh you're too kind Uh, we were the masters of the shit show back in the day Uh, but um yeah it's great i gotta get my uh podcast sea legs under me it's been a while i haven't been on a podcast in like four and a half years it's been it's been quite a while so Yes, a couple of black books. I'm glad you guys have me here. Yeah, a few, right? Yeah, absolutely. And we should also point out, um, don't you have one of those um, statues that are kind of golden in color? Uh, well, they're bronze. I still, they're in my hobby room. I'm looking at them right now. I have, I have two of them. Wow. Um, I, w- I will say to a lesser extent... Uh, the painting quality has gone down with the uh, addition of two little kids to the family since I last. <laughs> but on the flip side, GW, GW has put out enough products. It's like truly like the golden age of hobby right now, right? Like I, I can't, I can't get with anyone where they're like, I can't paint or I don't have time to paint. Like there's so much stuff between oil washes and contrast paints and YouTube videos. Like there's no reason people shouldn't be knocking out armies. And, uh, you know, the quality has gone down for sure because I don't spend as much time per model. But overall, you know, uh, I'm still knocking stuff out at a good quality, not an expert quality. I wasn't even really an expert, to be honest with you. Some of of the stuff that you show me, uh, (laughs) if only I could paint that good. To be honest, I I feel like it's a dig at me saying, you know, should get some painting done. So he's, he's come on and he's already abusing me. I know. Well, I mean, here's the thing, right? You got, I mean, you've had a lot going on last year. I get it, right? I get it. But, you know, you got <laughs> to knock your models out. You got to knock your models out. I mean, you kind of <laughs> like Rick, though. Rick does the same thing. He has, but he has no, he has no excuses, right? No kids, no wife. He works at GW. Like, he should be knocking armies out, out of the ballpark. But, you know, yeah, man. 
So put in the effort. <laughs> you absolutely do. Gaz, take a note of that. That was absolutely aimed at you. Uh, although you did put some uh, Angel's Tears together and put a bit of red paint on that, didn't you? Yeah, but for every model I've uh, painted recently, I think I've brought even more. So I'm still you, on the... Uh, <laughs> I'm still gaining more than I paint. I like the fact that you're losing weight because you're spending your food money on your fourth world order. <laughs> I wish I was losing weight. <laughs> <laughs> so, but like we say, really honoured to have Carl join us today. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit uh, to Carl, interview him. Um, Gaz has got a load of questions. I don't even know what the questions are that Gaz has got prepped. Uh, so there's going to be a, a, I don't know, a testing Kyle's knowledge. <laughs> Yeah, I, put, oh, um, I didn't uh, know there was something in study for that. Well, uh, it's quick fire. Welcome to the bear pit. <laughs> okay, it's quick fire. So the first uh, and then, uh, rapid fire segment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot about rapid fire segments. Oh, yeah. Well, we'd we have to call it Fury of the Legion segment, wouldn't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we can't can't use what other people are using. Uh, but then what we're gonna do? We're gonna chat a little bit about what we've been up to in the hobby uh, before we move into the main part of the show, which is um, Artifice and Protection. We're going to talk about the power armor of the Legion of Startes, that iconic element that I think makes us all fall in love with Space Marines. Uh, so strap yourselves in, get yourselves prepared. Uh, this is going to hurt. Uh, and thank you for joining us. So, Carl, welcome to the show. It's really good to have you on. Thank you for having me. Uh, so first thing for our listeners, I already have it said, you were part of the most epic of all podcasts in the past, uh, 40K Radio. Um, how did that come about? Um, oddly, so let's see, where do I, where do I begin? <laughs> and then there was like, um, so to give you a little background, I got into the hobby in 89 from a cousin when I was visiting in Sweden um, and uh, went full bore into 40K. And then fast forward through my teen years, uh, went to college for a little bit, dropped out of college because I was a knucklehead at the time. And then, um, and then um, I went to uh, work at GW for nine, eight, nine years, ran, ran some stores there, then left the business to open up my own store uh, with a business partner. And then I just got tired of retail at the time and just the grind. And I took like a year off. Like, so I sold out of my shares and did all that stuff. Took like a year off. And then uh, I knew Romeo from uh, being one of my customers in LA when I worked for DW and having a store out here in Arizona. And then he wanted me to come and run his sales team for him for his little growing battle foam company. I did that. And then he purchased 40 K radio. And then he asked me to do it like five times. I told him no. So I'm like, no one wants to hear my stupid ass talk about anything. And, you know, I just didn't see like value in it. Right. Because I was kind of listening to podcasts because, you know, this is like 10 years ago, 12 years ago, or eight years ago, something crazy. Like, I didn't see the value kind of, and I'm like, well, who, who wants to listen to me? I'm an idiot, right? I just, I love the emperor and I'm an idiot, but what, why do people want to talk to me? 
so then he finally lassoed me in and then i think we did it for like three years a good run and then <clears throat> i got uh kind of ceremoniously unceremoniously kicked off the show um because of something outside of the work that i did i kind of irritated one of uh one of uh romeo's licenses at the time which he still has uh i did a little thing that really irritated the owner so i kind of got in trouble there because i'm a smarmy little asshole as well doing that um and then <clears throat> i came back a couple did some more shows and terrace uh, bought the show but in the meantime i went back to college finished my degree i now work for a university and just been in the hobby you know for that long never lost love of you know painting miniatures gobs and gobs of miniatures uh 30k basically replaced my 40k which if people remember on the shows back then that's kind of the direction we were going um rick and i at the time we were kind of just full born to that so that's what i've basically been doing since then uh in the hobby and kind of you know how we got to there if that makes sense yeah it does i mean that's one of the things that i really uh I guess regret about you guys going off ahead is the fact that it, it prevented that um, expansion into the 30k covers that you are starting to do. Because um, I always found it fascinating listening to the analysis that you would give of units, the fluff background, uh, and just a passion that you and Rick in particular had for, for the heresy. Uh, and Chiller, um, you mentioned him as well uh, earlier, um, how he had a, an impact as well on, on the show and the discussions about the heresy. I mean, that was one of the things that really kept my retros burning when um, when when they started, when the, the whole forward world release of resin and, and black books, etc. Uh, really took hold. Uh, and, so your first album was Emperor's Children, is that correct? Yeah, so it was Emperor. So we we got the books, and uh, I think I was on vacation or something with my then girlfriend, now wife. We were on vacation, so the book just sat there, and I came back, and uh, Rick was like, "Yeah, so I'm doing World Eaters," and then Chiller's like, "And I'm doing Sons of Horus," and I'm like, "Okay, well, Death Guard or Emperor's Children?" And Rick made a comment. He goes. I can never think of anyone to be a Emperor's Children as much as you because I, I know how to needle Rick and get him kind of worked up. Um, and, you know, so he always like, he's like, you're just a smarmy asshole. So I was like, yeah, real and purple pops, you know, gold and stuff. So that I went full born to that. And we just like immersed ourselves. And, you know, I look back at a lot of things, like a lot of people on the outside, maybe not known at the time, like, GW, especially the Forge world, were really in tune to what we were saying and reached out to us a lot of the times. And, you know, when the Red Books came out, like Palantine Squad's going from five to 10, that was me. Like, that was our feedback. Like, this unit's too small. It gets murdered. I know it because I run it and I get murdered all the time. Right. Yeah. And we were giving them direct feedback because we went, you know, this was pre kids and all that stuff. I mean, we were playing like three, four times a week. And I mean, it was, it was so fun at the time. And I think people, you know, I don't even know if the shows are still there, but if they go back, just the enthusiasm we had for it, because it was almost like I was recapturing my first ever love for, you know, 40K. And it's almost like, I'm not an addict myself, but I've heard people 
you know, and I've had addicts in my family, like you're always chasing that dragon, right? You're always chasing that feeling. And 30K when it came out was like, oh my God, what's this unit do? Oh my God, what does that unit do? Oh my God, did I just have a 15 man unit run down? <laughs> like, what is going on here? These are snow screens. Like one, one of the concepts that was really hard for us to like get into was that shit's going to die. And it's a lot of it's going to die. Like that was hard, like going from 40K to make that transition. Like, you know, like you almost wanted to cry. Like I just lost a 15 man unit. If I did that in 40K, the game might as well be over, you know? Um, but I went off a little bit off of the rails there, but uh, yeah, Emperor's Children. Um, and then we just, we, we played that first book till our eyes bled. We played all the missions. We just did, we went into it um, and and just really got into the material. It was so great. And I think, you know, the old 40 carry, you can start to see that shift because more and more we talked about it. And, you know, Romeo was resistant to it at the time. It was just because he just thought it was going to be like a one or two book thing, you know, and I, because he wasn't as deep into the background and in, into the hobby that I was or to a certain extent for Rick was. I mean, we had connections with Black Library. We were getting like, black library books like three or four of them that wouldn't come out for like a year we were getting like manuscripts like that i mean that's how like in depth we were getting you know we got uh you know a thousand sons like right from black library like here the, here's basically like the designer notes the editor notes so we were getting that stuff so in advance because it was, you could just see the the shift because 40k was you know kind of blah at the time you know, and you could just see the creative aspect, especially, you know, rest in peace, Alan Bly, the, just the thoughtfulness, because like when you play, like, and the reason I like playing Emperor Children, I felt like a pompous asshole when I played them, right? Just like everything I did, like, yeah, I'm going to challenge you. Yeah. You know, it just, it just encompassed everything. And then, you know, the world leaders were bloodthirsty and, you know, children played Sons of Horus and they're flexible and they had some really cool elite units. And it's just, it was something that was completely just different, but really good in that, that new sense, if that makes sense. Uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, and actually it's kind of gripping the community again now, the, the early return to Istvan stuff. It's quite big over here in the UK. Um, people are looking at those, certainly those first two books, um, first three books really uh the black books and replaying <clears throat> one the Islam three and then the, the, the massacre stuff um mm -hmm. yeah i mean it, i mean the, the the idea and the fact i mean for us i think we're all of a generation you guys and probably most of people that listen to this we're of a generation where the heresy had always been you know that foundational piece in the background We'd all heard of the Primarchs, we'd all heard of the Horus Heresy. There was the, you know, some of us came into the hobby after the, the Space Marine game, which was based on, uh, or, or set in the Heresy, it was basically Titanicus. Um, but it was, it was so foundational. The, yes, you had some monster Primarchs that were in the, you know, Eye of Terror and whatnot, but the only Primarch that was left for the Imperium was one in a stasis field sat on a throne um, and not doing anything. And to all of a sudden have a rule set and, a, and the background and the story and we, what we all think we know turns out is not quite right. 
um, I, I just, it, it's so engaging and to someone who has grown up with this and who this has meant so much in their hobby life and their escapism to, to finally be able to play this to turn the movies that are in our heads into reality on the tabletop has been fascinating and just fantastic. Uh, and as I say, what you and Rick, and we should say Rick, Rick was one of your co-hosts on the show. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe the, the, the joker of 40 or 30K. Yeah. <laughs> um, For sure. And an all round decent and good bloke. Um, you know, but the interactions you two had in particular and the love for the hobby, which is probably why Black Library and, and Forge World reached out to you, it seems, uh, because it was just so engaging to listen to you guys talk. Um, so like I say, really honoured to have you on the show. What are you up to now? What's the what's the hobby scene like where you are and, and what are you currently working so sadly, you know, obviously COVID, and I mean, it's sadly across the board, you know, obviously people have lost loved ones to it. And, you know, he, here in the U.S. has been kind of weird, right? Like lockdown, we're open, just getting back to lockdown. So it's just, it's put everything in flux. And, you know, hobby stores have pretty much been open the whole time here, but no gaming. And uh, I have a soon to be three-year-old little savage man um and he has like really bad allergies and stuff and, and asthma so what we've done is just basically isolated ourselves <laughs> so with that isolation um you know like all i've done is hobby because i don't i don't get to play and you know normally i probably once i got kids i would probably game two three four times a week without kids and then i got kids um and uh, probably, it always went down to about one, one, one game a week. Um, and uh, it's during this time, I mean, I painted five, 6,000 points of Adeptus Titanicus. So all my stuff is painted. Um, you know, I painted 5,000 points of uh, uh, Custodes for uh, 30K. So I, I still do a lot, of, a lot of stuff in the hobby. Um, I just bought the Indominus box, played my first game of ninth on Sunday. Um, I'm still indifferent to, to 40K. Um, I love the models. I think the models are amazing. Uh, just like Age of Sigmar, I think GW's models are just mind-blowingly cool, but the gameplay just is eh to me. Um, you know, I feel more – it's weird because it's going to kind of roll into what we're doing now. I feel that 40K now is transitioning more back to like sixth edition. Really powerful characters. They kind of drive the narrative of the game. Um, and then you kind of have like minions running around, just kind of like second edition. And the reason I bring up second edition in the delirium of all this COVID stuff, Rick, and then I have a couple buddies in California. Uh, we were like, man, I just kind of feel like we're, we're kind of going through the motions. What can we do different? And I was like, you know what? I've always thought about going back and painting second. Well, we've originally talked about doing Rogue Trader, and then we realized a lot getting a hold of the rules and vehicle manuals and all that stuff is going to be really expensive. So we, we decided to do with second edition to start. So what our plan is ultimately is to paint a second edition army, paint a third edition army, a fourth edition army, fifth, all that stuff, while we're still doing you know our 30K stuff. And since we have buddies, Rick grew up in Southern California, I grew up in Southern California, we now both live in Arizona, but we have friends that are there. 
what we would do is make it like a weekend of it, you know, like we would drive out to California or our buddies would come out here and then we'd kind of immerse in that whole weekend of playing second edition. Right. So, I mean, we're going all out. I'm going to build up terrain like the old spiky cactus and, you know, those bunkers. I found a guy who 3d prints like the, you know, cardstock bunker bunkers. I'm going to get those, paint those up. So the whole aesthetic and everything is drawn into second edition. So then we'll do, we're going to hopefully with COVID do this, you know, coming into 2021 and then just do a weekend where we get together and play our armies. So I'm doing space wolves, Rick's doing blood angels. We have a buddy who's doing ultramarines. Another buddy is doing Eldar and um, we're doing like legit 25 millimeter bases, original metal models, uh, which got really pricey. Uh, I think uh, I think my my space wolves. Uh, I took it on the chin a couple of times because I was like, well, I don't. I mean, the tough thing is like the close combat sprue, um, which is really gnarly to get a hold of. Usually, they're like two for like forty bucks if they're in a blister. Yeah. Um, so I realized, well, if I'm going to pay forty bucks, I might as well just buy the box of blood claws that has three of them in there for a hundred dollars. Um, but one thing you forget when you, when you kind of develop through the hobby, like, I'm like, man, hundred bucks, I'm gonna need like six of these boxes. Cause I need like six squads. And then you go, Oh wait, you know, a great hunter squad is, you know, 360 points and we're playing 1500 points. So, you know, the cost is actually relative to, if not a little bit cheaper than an army is now today. So, uh, we basically spent like a month getting all the rules, uh, getting the templates and dark millennium and all that. So we all have our own sets and then basically building our armies. And then I sent you guys some picks. I knocked out a five man wolf guard terminator unit. I've painted the old space wolf captain with the um, wolf helmet. If you remember him, he's got the little, the, the cape, the cape that's flowing behind him, but is like stiff as a board. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, I have a Iron Priest done, and then I have the old Rune Priest and Terminator done, and then I have a Blood Claw, Grey Hunter Squad, another Five Man Wolf Guard Terminator Squad, and then all the characters. So I got all the original characters and metal, all that stuff. So that's kind of what we're doing now. But what I've been doing before everything in the COVID went down, I was messing around with a Raven Guard Terminator army, and it hadn't been going well. <laughs> I mean, getting my dick beat into the dirt repeatedly because it's just, it's hard. Like, so uh, with the whole thoughts of that Raven Guard army and Terminator armor, I want them all in Tartaros and not Cataphracty. And then that didn't work. And then I was like, okay, well, I'm going to take a Warbringer and mix them with Cataphracty Terminators. So then they deep strike. That's like my deep strike in unit, take punishment. Yeah. And so uh, I was messing around. I thought I had a good grip on that army until my last game I played, which left a horrible taste in my mouth. Uh, I played a, my buddy on Salamanders, even though I was talking trash on Salamanders earlier. He had one of those games where he just rolled amazing. It was like over by like two, turn two, turn three. I mean, he just pummeled me, just beat me into the dirt. And, um, you know, so that's kind of where I'm at. I also have, I mean, army wise, I have, when I say I went full board into 30K, it's no lie. I probably have like 7,000 points of Sons of Horse not painted, probably 5,000 points of Emperor's Children not painted, Death Guard Army. And what I try to do is I try to make all their fight styles different, right? So I have currently painted right now, I have probably 
4,000 points of iron hands, which is mostly troop based. So like big 15 man squads, kind of what you talked about earlier, you know, just big chunky squads with apothecaries to really make that toughness. Um, I have probably 6,000 points of um, black shields painted, which would probably my favorite army. Um, just all the flexible kind of like, it reminds me of third edition uh, chaos army to run. We got all these like cool little tricks you can do with it. Uh, I have, oh, during COVID, I also paid Rick. I, I love him. He got me back into Lord of the Rings. So I painted like 2000 points of Lord of the Rings, Urukai. Um, what else? I just got so much. I have an Alpha Legion all like infiltrating. Um, so quick thing. I know I'm still going off the rails here. Um, Rick, when we first got into 40K or 30K, would get so mad at me. I mean, like, you know, you guys are Rick. He's like five seven. I don't know what that is in like meters, but he's like five foot seven. And he is very passionate about things. And he would get so livid that I never took any special units. Right. So in my Emperor's Children, it was like 15 man squads. You know, I would max out a lot of things, 10 man Terminator squad, but I never took Palatine Blades. I never took, um, uh, they didn't get the Phoenix card, I think, until Phoenix, Phoenix Terminator until later. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I never took any, I never took any of the special characters, never took Salter. And he was like, and he loves that stuff. And he'd be like, I hate your army so much because all you do is take a bunch of troops and you don't take anything. So I made, my Alpha Legion is kind of a joke army. It is a headhunter, so they're all every unit's a headhunter, and then it has a uh, Laren Terminator unit in it, and then I have uh, Dynad in it. So it's like, and then I use Exodus, so it literally has every special character, every like every special unit they have, and no like basic stuff uh, in it. So it's just kind of like an all infiltrating, all reserve army. Um, that's kind of funny. So. That's kind of on the docket. I'm kind of deciding whether I'm going to paint them or the Raven Guard Terminator Army. I just haven't gotten into it yet. But that's that's kind of where I'm at in the hobby. I know that's long-winded. I do apologize for everyone who turned off their uh, podcast after hearing that story. <laughs> uh, my mom will still listen. She loves it. So, brilliant. Uh, I think what we'll do, we've got Gazzy's rapid-fire questions that he wants to do, so we'll go into that. And then... Following that, I think we'll start talking about power-up. Okay, so, first question. Is Pete the best-dressed man in the hobby? Uh, by far. he's. A, so, I, I have a scale, okay? I don't know if some of the listeners, uh, you know, all 15, 20 of you guys, if you remember, we used to have Chad on, or Chiller, on 40K, and he's still a good buddy of mine out here. He is the most beautiful man in hobby. Pete is the most dapper man. This dude has always got a collar on. Like, he's out, you know, wine tasting with his wife, collar on. He's, you know, taking the trash out, collar on. He's always got a collar on. He's always got nice, like, khakis on. He's, he's the most dapper man in all of hobby, for sure. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> I don't know if it's needed. A gentleman should always be correctly dressed. That's all I'll say. Okay, second. Yeah. Favorite Legion. Ooh, favorite legion. Um, I will have to say they will always be Dark Angels. I will always have a soft spot. That was my first ever legion 30-plus years ago. Uh, oddly enough, that was only because at the time they were 
black and I could paint that because I was all of like 10 years old at the time. Um, <laughs> but then when second edition rolled around, that was my, my first one when they went green and that was kind of a shock to my system. Uh, I had to learn how to paint an actual color. Um, but I mean, for like, for 30 K it's waxed and waned a lot. You know, I still always have a soft spot for the emperor's children because they're just pompous assholes and I love it. Um, they're smarmy. Um, but I'm probably have to go dark angels and probably emperor's children is a close second. Um, definitely have grown to love the iron hands a lot. Okay. Then so the horse heresy series. The first, your favorite Primark then? Is this the lion or is someone else growing on you more? Uh, Primark wise, uh, if I had to say Primark, I, I do like the lion. So I guess the same thing, it's kind of waxed and waned as well, because, you know, especially if you follow the Horus Heresy series and kind of read through it, there's, there's like archetypes that were early on that you're like, oh, that guy's just an asshole. Like the lion would just seem very aloof and very kind of on doing his own thing, but it was like to the extreme but I think they've tightened up their character. Just like you guys talked about in the previous show with like Dorn, he was very just kind of bland, but they've tightened up the characters. So um, I would like to have more. And I think you guys mentioned it as well. I would like to have more information on Ferris Manus. You just don't get it. Um, But like how his troops have dealt with his death, right. was really like kind of next level for me because they're like, Hey, we're all going to die. We're going to take as money, uh, many of these dudes out with us as possible. So that, like, that Iron Tenth, that, like, that shows how lasting his, like, aura is, that even in death, they're they're still badass. They're still sticking to it. So I have a lot of respect for him, even though he kind of gets, he gets killed in, like, the first act, you know, and is kind of thrown to the side uh, as a character, so... Um, Primark is probably the line. I probably like Ferris Menace, and then the Khan, I mean... He's a great character as well. They added a lot of depth from that. Okay, so yeah. least favorite Legion? Uh, least favorite? I think probably the most common everyone would say is Weird Bears, but I think they play a pivotal role. Um, <laughs> probably least favorite to me is probably just Salamanders, just because I'm so indifferent to them. Like, Sometimes, like, if you go to a party, there's a dude that's hanging out on the wall and doesn't really notice any, you know, like, you're like, oh, yeah, you're here, too. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot about you. <laughs> you know, like, that's kind of the legion where I'm just like, eh, you know, I can take it, I can leave it. There's just no, no draw. I mean, word bears are, their character is just backstabby and kind of whiny and bitchy, but they play that catalyst for all this to happen. So you're supposed to hate him. You're supposed to not like him. Um, but I'd have to say probably Salamanders, just because they're so just black to me. You know? Yeah. Does that make sense? I, I can understand that. They set them up so well, I thought, in their black book when they discussed some of the, the history of them and what they were like before they found Vulcan. And this sort of... Mm-hmm almost death death cultish type legion that would you know sustain when they go under into the subterranean battlefield uh, i know gaz has given me eyes over the skype chat that we're having no, <laughs> this no. is a rapid fire but 
yeah, there was so much potential that they just kind of let wither on the vine. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Because yeah, if, if, you know, people read the Primark books, <clears throat> like, their book was just so matter-of-fact. Like, it didn't reveal anything. It was just kind of like, yo, the original sons are dying. You're now ready to go. Step up. Yeah. They go fight orcs. And then it was just like, and done. And I think the Primark books are good mechanisms to find out more about the Primark and kind of their basis. And I think, especially the ones written by Guy Haley, I think have been over the top amazing. But they were fun, like, little books because obviously, like, word bearers, you knew Corferon and Erebus and all those people were scumbags. But, like, in the Primark book, you're like, wow, Corferon's like a snake, snake oil salesman. And yeah. he's going from town to town, and he's just a—he just from the, from the from the word jump, he's just been a scammer and a and a just overall just giant piece of shit. But um, you know, you get a, a get a little more in depth, and I think just in that primer where they had a chance to kind of knock it out of the park, it's just very bland for Vulcan, and, which I think he's a very interesting character, and he obviously has a lot of things that play a pivotal role. It's just. Yeah, yeah, well, perpetual, isn't it? Uh, so one of the things about this show is we don't mind spoiling everything, so I should maybe have given okay. up, up front, but yeah, so, <laughs> but as a perpetual, I think that's just a fascinating part of the story arc, and, and also the, the sort of, the very last, um, I, I don't know, insurance policy that gets put in place by the Emperor, uh, that whole stuff on terror, I, I, yeah. Th there was so much that could be done with them, a and on the ar the army themselves as well. When playing them on the tabletop, there's actually some really cool little rules that go with them, and they've got some beautiful models, some absolutely fantastic models that I'm sure we'll come to when we do the main body and talk about armor. Um, but yeah, I, I I agree. I think that it's one of those legions where it's just it, it feels a little bit underdeveloped when it comes to 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 the wider heresy so would it be your it, your least favorite primark as well because obviously uh, that's the next question no I, I i was gonna say my least favorite is probably logar just because he's just you know such a puss puss like like he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't get like badass until like someone gives him power and use him with power right He's just always like, I mean, he's just led by the nose no matter what he does. Like, if you know, without spoilers, but I mean, the book's been out for four years. If you haven't, three years, if you haven't read the Primark or Aurelian or anything, you need to get your life together. But, um, you know, with him, he's always been led by the nose. He's always been looking for someone to command him, to always drive him forward, right? So when he especially in his primark book like he's like oh I, you know you have court fair he's playing a role he's like oh yeah there's these gods of the pantheon all that stuff and then he's like no i have a goal you know i have a dream of a golden guy right or a golden god and then yeah I, in my in my mind in my mind's eye, i always envision like court fair putting his fingers behind his back and crossing his fingers and be like yeah just one god uh-huh like you know just like total scumbaggy but it just always seems like he's looking for something and that can't fulfill him right and he thinks he find he finds these gods that are going to give him power and abuse him power but i think the fatal flaw especially with all the primates that fall they think how some even horus to his 
to a certain extent thinks they're going to be able to somehow control these chaos gods, right? So it's like yeah. they take their hubris to like the nth degree. They're like fatally flawed, you know? Um, and it's just interesting for that aspect with Logar. He just doesn't, he doesn't have any teeth, you know? It's just, he's just, bar he's all bark. That's, I guess that's the thing that bothers me. Okay, so, you know, the next one, your favorite Primark model. Uh, he isn't out yet. That's got to be Lion. Like, okay, then. That stunning model. You know what's a stunning model? Helmet or not yeah. helmet? Uh, I'm I'm pr I prefer a helmet guy just because I've never now mind you, uh, I've never been in the military at all, right? I've never been a police officer or anything, but. The whole strategy of not wearing a helmet to me just seems odd, right? I understand what it does. You can inspire and presence and stuff like that. But, I mean, even in hockey and football, they wear helmets to protect their noggins. I'm just saying. Give me right? American yeah, football. I'm always a helmet guy. Yeah, American football. Man. <laughs> I need to walk that back a little. American football, you know. Um, but I, I like, I think his model, so, like, I feel bad, but also kind of excited, right? Uh it's like if you look at Angron, like that was an awesome model when it came out. Yeah, it looks like like a twelve year old sculpted in, in comparison, right? So you, you get like with the door, the door model is amazing too. Um, but I really like the line, and that may be a little bit of recency bias, but I think that model is just it's a, they, it's a home run. They just knocked right. it out of the park. What's your uh, least favorite Primark then model? Uh, probably, uh, this is probably going to hurt me to say, is probably Fulgrim. Um, I just, talk about a guy who should have a helmet instead of that head. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, I, see, and, and, you know, I'm just, you know, in my, in my mind's eye thinking like they may have old, old school, like sculpted by hand as opposed to doing a lot of 3d stuff now that they're doing or maybe designing. Um, so I think there's a lot to be left at where it is, where it's sleek and kind of fragile, where it should be kind of fitting with the emperor's children kind of motif. Uh, it just looks like he's prancing. Mm. Right. Mm. What, where I think, where I envision Fulgrim, he, it's more like, um, how do I describe it? It more, almost like it's effortless movement. Like if you've ever played sports with someone, no matter what sport it is, where they you just see them and you're like, they always look like they're going half speed, but they're always better than everyone else, right? They're always faster, even though it looks like they're giving minimal effort. And uh, that's what he kind of strikes me as, the guy who, like everything he does, all his movements almost should look effortless. And that looks like he's like, ha-ha, I'm jumping, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And what if you have the dual set together, him and Ferris, then it looks cool. But as a model in your army, you know, yeah, a little, I, a little I, I, I completely agree. I think one of the, the, I think even with the jewel, it just it doesn't seem natural. I don't know. So you've got Ferris mid swing, and you've got him sort of jumping and leaping into the swing. It just doesn't seem like if it was a jewel that was. I mean, it, it, clearly it was designed that the two would would interact in that way. It just doesn't seem 
correct. Unlike, say, the Abaddon and Loken duel, that looks like two models that are uh, two individuals that are actually in combat. And even to an extent, the Russ and Magnus, I think they're quite well put together as a duel. I, I still have a few issues with the way that it was. It, it looked when the, you put them together, but on the whole, it, it works. But I agree. I think the 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 prancing Fulgrim, um, just and the face with the. I mean, the hair looks like he. It looks like he should be the um, Korax model diving down from a, rather than just a bit of a leap. It, it just it, yeah. Well, I, I was going to say I don't mean to cut you off. Um, where. I think a lot of the times, you know, especially in like modern day, just like in society, like uh, everyone's got to have a hot take on something, right? You know, everyone's got to like get their ideas. And where it's tough, if people remember if they did listen back to 40K, where I was always kind of like a positive guy, like the guy who sculpted this, whoever it is, did an amazing job. I could never sculpt anything. Like I couldn't even imagine the piece of crap I would produce, you know? So it's <laughs> yeah. like, sometimes it's hard. It's it's like, I don't want to sound like I'm like totally just taking a dump on the model. You know, it's, it's from an aspect of, could there be better? And I think what happens is I think you're seeing a lot of the sculpting ability marrying with like technology and these models that have just been coming out. Like, cause I, in my, the way I look at it, I'm going to get the con out whether they do them on a bike or however they do it, I bet you it's going to look amazing, right? It's just going to look over the top. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I also look forward to, you know, if they start doing the um, Primarchs and kind of like they're transitioning into Demonhood and all those other things, those mm-hmm. will probably be crazy looking too. So, so far I'd have to say Lion and then probably, and it hurts me because I do love the Emperor's Children. Full grown is kind of a little... He's just lacking something. Okay, so your favorite unit then? Favorite unit? Mm. I I have to say probably my favorite unit in the game just because they're so iconic. And then when they're in a, in an army, they just stand out. It would have to be the Vistaran Terminators. Mm. Um, I think <laughs> even, in, even, even in their Cataphracty, they stand the test of time. Like, even with the new plastic cataphracty they look like they fit and then if you're running a standard sons of horus army and you don't have a bunch of readers and stuff that black armor just stands out with the, with the deep blood reds in there it, and the golds if you go that route or silver you know how you're edging it i, I think it's just it looks amazing and especially if you have abaddon running a unit of them or near them i just think it stands out um and then game wise like i know they get kind of crapped on on the internet i think game wise uh they're underrated by the community if i had to had to say that um and the experience of having them and running them i think they're a really good unit so like gameplay look uh when it's in a painted army i'd have to go to just stare and just kind of the overall uh, impressions of, that they make on me okay least favorite unit least favorite unit oh I made jokes on this. <laughs> Rick still gives me crap, but uh, I made jokes uh, years and years ago when we were when we were doing 40k radio. The Nightlord Raptors look like guys are blowing out Achilles tendons and like blowing out ACLs, and they're gonna have to get surgery. They just like torso up, 
awesome. Leg down, I don't know what the person was doing, whether they were drinking on a bender or something. Like, <laughs> it just if you really look at the legs, you're like, how are you laying, how are you, you know, seven foot tall and gosh, probably I don't know, probably weigh a ton at that point. I don't know how many I don't know, it's ton in metric system, I don't even know. But like you weigh a ton <laughs> and then you know, it's so confusing, like all the metrics there. Right? We're just so different, America. We're weird. Uh, but you weigh a ton, and then you're jumping, and then you're just going to land like that. You're blowing out something. I, I don't care if you're physically <laughs> altered. They just they just look weird. Bottom waist down just look weird. Okay, next one. Top five books of the heresy. <sighs> oh. uh, top five books. Um First Heretic is in there, uh, for sure. Um, The yeah, that's on the spot. I'm gonna have to. So I'm gonna I'm gonna turn. I'm in my hobby. Oh, Conrad Kerr's Primark book. That's in there for sure. Um, I think that's a very underrated book. Um, I really liked. See, I'm probably gonna get killed for this, uh, but I really liked. Uh, Legion a lot, but probably for a different reason than most. Um, I, I just like the kind of, I think to a certain extent, Dan Abnett did a really good job on the other pieces of the Imperial Army in that book that you can learn a little bit more about it. Um, and I think sometimes it's replicated and messed up. In a, so, for example, I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here, but it's going to all work. But uh, I finally purchased and listened to Spears of the Emperor. It should be called, like, Spears of the Helot. I'm not ruining it for anyone, but, like, it's only basically about the people who help stationers and not really the Spears of the Emperor. Um, but that was too much, right? It was just too not enough stationary in action, just too much in one direction. I think Legion blended it perfectly to see how Imperial Army works with Marines and especially how they interact and just kind of how shifty the uh, alpha legion is. So legion is definitely in there. Um, trying to think what else, uh, two more probably. Yeah. Two more, uh, horse rising has got to be in there. I think that, that was such a great tone setter, right? That was just like, I remember cause, in the olden days, I was actually working for the company at the time when that came out, and I bought it out of Games Day in Atlanta, I think it was, out here, uh, like, 15 years ago, and it just, I couldn't put it down, and it was just like, I mean, just the opening, like, I was there the day uh, Horse Through the Emperor, like, that just sets the tone for everything. And Does it adjust? Probably, yeah, um, probably... Betrayer as well. Strong book. Okay then. So the next one. Did Mal did Magnus do something wrong? Uh yes he did. Excellent. Um because it's it's very much like and I'm related to society, right? It's always when someone tries to do something that they think is good, they're paving that road to damnation, right? With the with good intentions, like no matter how well you think you're doing uh, and having, being a father with young kids, if I tell you not to do it, there's aspects where it comes in as a father where you're saying, look, 
do as I say, not as I do. Right? So he told Magnus, do not do this. Now, the punishment was a heavy-handed, yes. But backing up spoilers, if you haven't read Valdor or anything like that, this is all part of the scheme. It just happened a little bit faster than it needed to. Mm. Right? Like, they were all supposed to do this. Right? Now, I think in my scheme, if I'm being conspiracy guy, I don't think the Emperor wanted them knowing that they were gods out there so they can get the power to match his power, right? So, um, especially if you guys haven't read Valdor, the book, I'm not saying you're just listeners, there are great tidbits in there that shows what happens to the Thunder Warrior Legions, which then you could see those being transposed onto uh, Legions. And then if anyone's into 40K now, you can almost see it being transposed into 40K, but that's kind of, a fluff background issue I have with 40k. I think that I think they're just repeating the same template again. I think the great thing Black Library have done before that though is they've made it. They could it could go down so many lines that no one knows for sure what the Emperor would have done. So mm. I mean, mm. one of the early Korax books, uh, they actually had uh, rooms where for the twenty Primarchs, didn't they? And servants in, yes. and he hints that after the war was done, that they would all go back to Terra. But then at the other point, there's other ones going, yeah, you'd have just all been binned off. So I think the Black Library authors always do that great thing of showing so many paths that it's how you interpret it to how it would have gone. Oh, I think you nail it right there. Because if I if I handed, let's say I lined up 10 people, right, and half of them were loyalist Imperial and half of them were traitors, and I say, read this book, what do you get out of First Heretic? You're going to have, like, you know, your, your traitors are going to be like, look, see, you know, the Emperor lied to us, all this stuff's going on, and, you know, and then look what the demon said, look, they, they, they told the truth, and then you have a loyalist person who's like, yeah, but it's a demon, they want something out of you, they're going to lie to you. So they just showed you a possible path. And I think what happens is that's where the kind of genius lies in these series. Yeah. Each book has different paths that you can take, and you're going to get different things you have, you know, that's what I think really good books do is that everyone who wants to believe their truth, they can. Yeah. If that makes sense. You know, so like if you get any, we all know them in our gaming groups, you got ardent traders, you got ardent loyalists and they'll read the same thing and they'll pull different things that are like, Oh, see page, page 12 says Logar is an asshole right there. There, there it says right there. And then the guy goes, yeah, but on page 34, it shows the emperor's, you know, a giant mm-hmm. asshole. Like, so that that's what the genius is. And, th- and I think that's probably why the books that I select, I like um, the kind of paths that you can go down. Okay, so three, three more. Your favorite okay. Legio. My favorite Legio? Yeah. S- slightly different, I know. Uh, but. Uh, well, in, in my Legio... Uh, so with this whole COVID thing, which has been crazy, I've been working at home since March 
And so I don't have like a, an hour drive in and an hour drive back every day. And then I, I'm at home at lunch and that's an hour. Or so I've been hobbying. So I knocked out roughly like 6,000 points of uh, Legio Mortis Ooh. painted. <laughs> so I have like two warlords, five reavers, five warhounds. And then I did um, Malinax for their house. So I have a bunch of nice. knights. I have the, you know, so... I just think they're one of the, it's really weird because of the transition they go through, but I think they're very iconic, the black, the red, the white, the gold. I think that's just yeah. boom. It just pops, especially playing the game and putting them on the field. It just pops to me, like for my eye aesthetically, but then they go to Nurgle, which is really weird, but you know, I can, <laughs> uh, which is greens and, you know, browns and all that stuff, you know, it's just, the weird transition there, but yeah, they're probably my favorite. I do like, like storyline wise, I think they're kind of, eh, you know, if that makes sense. Uh, the I like a lot, but I'm, I'm not hep on their palette. Their yeah. Palette, yeah so. Gray. Yeah. It's a, yeah. Gray's blues and yellows. Just, yeah. The blues and yellows are striking, you know, um, but the gray, and then sometimes it's got like a weird kind of funky camo to it. Um, but yeah. I think I like I like how they're they're very like you know stern and kind of don't give up and where like death heads are just like we just like to murder which is cool <laughs> but, you know it's kind of, it's kind of like the archetype of uh, we're our world eaters you know yeah they're just like okay there's got to be something just besides you know burning and killing and, and death so okay uh, that that's my visually that's my my favorite and that's when i rock in uh the death of titanicus okay so your favorite legionnaire your favorite legionnaire Ooh. in these books in the books hmm that's a good question Ooh. probably logan just because i feel emotionally attached to him in a weird way <laughs> um, I, think, I think Loken will be definitely one of the uh, common choices him and Garrow yeah. aren't they well what it's weird it's like uh, I like probably a close second if not like a tie I really like Arnold's Hall um, just and Karn to a certain example too but the reason I like Arnold's Hall and Karn is they kind of look around like dude what is happening to my legion yeah. what is going on like like the one thing i've never and this is gonna be off off the rails again a little one thing i've never understood right and we've had a little bit of discussion on this so you know the the traders fall right and uh, i don't know you use a word bearer's example how does no one go hey steve you got a horn growing out of your head and you're possessed by a demon but yeah we're do, we're on the right side. Like everything <laughs> we're doing is great, but now you have a tail and bat wings. Like what is going? Like you know, or my my primarch is just he can't even talk, he can't even function because all he wants to do is murder and kill things. And they're like, oh, the nails took hold of him. No, your dude's a psycho. Like your your <laughs> father, you have a shitty dad, and your dad's a psycho. Um, and that's the one thing I just it's always kind of humorous to me. It's just like how do you not look and go. Hey, uh, we had that discussion about Sons of Horus, you know, off air, but like with the Sons of Horus, like, you know, how all of a sudden you've got spikes and you're sacrificing people and 
you know, the vengeful spirit is like coming alive, like a, like a, a being. And how do you know, like, maybe we're on the wrong side. Maybe we're picking, like, everything was cool that now. And now, like, like, where are we going with this? Right. So, uh, and to be fair, what, that's why they, I was, I was just going to say black library kind of covers this in a number of bits. So like you'll have Tybalt Mar when he comes back from, um, the operations against, um, Shadrach Medusa and, and he talks to his so they've been away from the main body of the legion since since Istvan and then they come back and they're like what is happening to the legion what, what is all this this is yeah. what is happening here and like you say you've got you know Khan recognises I mean one of the best scenes in Betrayer is when they charge the ultramarine shield wall and he looks and he goes, we used to be like this. We used to have this discipline and this ability. And now we've just descended. Oh, God, nails have kicked in. Rah! And then all goes black. But it's it's one of those, um, it, it is one of those things that consistently comes back up. So you have Perturabo looking at his brothers like, what have you let happen? And you have Mortarian trying hard not to allow the witch come into his legion but then ultimately it he fails it's it, it's fascinating seeing that that moment of realization of are we the bad guys you know that that famous mitchell and webb bit about yeah. the ss yeah. but the skulls <laughs> we've got skulls on it but yeah, I suppose yeah, yeah. yeah. so anyway we'll go to the last uh, question so, who should have been named War Master? You can still choose Horus, obviously. So, if you was the Emperor, who would you cho- who would you have chosen? So, so, so here's the thing for me: like, I don't think Horus had the mental capacity to be War Master, but that's why I think the Emperor picked him um, because eventually. I mean, if we if we if we walk it down, right? If we walk down the path of like what the emperor, the, I mean, obviously a lot of these things have been written in books. This was his end game. He wanted the imperial army to rule everything. He wanted the space to kill himself out. So who are you going to put? You're going to put a charismatic guy who can draw people to their side, right? And we're going to fight with him. And <clears throat> the basis of all these these legions are kind of mirrors of each other, right? For a reason. Um, with that being said, probably the best guy for me is uh, Gulliman. And the reason is, is because I think he has the logistic aptitude to actually run things. Now, I think he's a little, like, especially if you read the books and stuff, you know, logical, practical, and all these other things, I think he's a little bit too much of a nerd right mm-hmm. so to speak like i don't think he's going to be able to like draw people necessarily to him like i think his sons love him immensely but i don't think he's the charismatic guy to draw people to him but i think he has the logistical mind to run everything properly but the problem is he's going to be that guy to be like oh uh you know using a military like oh if we use this type of bolter we can save five billion dollars with the ammo sucks. He'd be like, "All right, well, let's let's do that." Like he'll be good at those type of decisions, right? But where it's like, "Hey, 
my brother's mad at me and his legion guys are fighting each other how do we fix this and he would be like well can't you just figure it out you know like he just has that sense to it um but that's probably who i would think best because i just don't see like i think the line is too too headstrong i think sanguinius is awesome i think the word you're looking for there uh so uh, with Sanguinis and uh, kind of the way the perception of his overall kind of attitude where I think he was very, I think he's very like, it is what it is. If that makes sense. Like we're here, let's just do what we have to do. I don't think he has a leadership quality per se in there. Um, I think he's a good warrior. That makes sense. Like he'll do what he's instructed to and he'll do it. Excellent. Uh, but I don't think he has desires whatsoever to be a leader. Um, he reminds me of a old book that I read uh, about Genghis Khan. And Genghis Khan always talked about warriors and chiefs. You want to have more warriors than you do chiefs, because at the end of the day, you need the warriors to do the job. And he just catches me of a warrior more as a chief, if that makes sense. Interesting, because he is declared emperor of the Imperium Secundus. Mm -hmm. But do you think he wanted that, though? That's no. the thing. And actually, when you look at what happened, he's the Emperor kind of in name only because Gilliman runs stuff. Mm -hmm. The Lion is the military commander. It's like, he makes a great figurehead, right? Like, He's like the poster boy for like he's good looking, right? Like he's uh, you know, any political leader that's like really attractive but it's kind of vapid, right? That's kind of uh, devoid of any like substance. That's yeah. kind of what he seems to me like. Really good looking face, uh, could probably get elected president or you know prime minister or whatever, but he just doesn't have anything to him, right? There's it's he's hollow in a way. Mm -hmm. um, that's not saying he's a great character. I'm just saying, as far as the leader, he just catches me as like, oh, I'll do what I have to do. If we have to go destroy that planet, I'll do that. If I have to go negotiate with that leader to get them to join the Imperium, I'll do that too. But I don't think he's like got an eye on a prize per se. No. And, and Manus, so what do you think of Manus as if he had been the, uh, the war master? Uh, I think he has a fatal flaw where he wants to see, see it gone through, right? So if the task is A, he will do everything in his power to get it done, no matter what the sacrifice is. And I don't think you can have that as a leader either, right? Um, I know, because if, if you step back and look at it from, you know, a thousand foot view, the way uh, the emperor was looking at it is I need someone because technically the crusade is over, right? So now it's more like a peacekeeping, which I don't think the space rangers were ever designed to do. They're not a peacekeeping force. They're a tool to, to expand the Imperium. And I think they needed someone who was going to keep the overall structure of the legions kind of in order until the emperor wants to pull that trigger and make them flip and make them kill each other, right? But I think he wanted to do it more of a a strategic kind of like um, 
in, in like a doctor's office, like, okay, you have cancer throughout your body and I can treat each, but I'm going to like focus on one spot at a time. And I think that's what he was going to do. He was just going to knock down those pegs as he go. He would create something and then they would take out like the thousand suns. And once they're done and, and then in like a couple of years may go by and then, Oh, now the space wolves did something. We got to take the space wolves out. Like I think he would have systematically taken out because if you look at the design of all the primarchs, which primarch do you think would be the best post crusade in the Imperium? I can only think of one. I can only think of Vulcan. And I, the only reason I can think of Vulcan, A, he's a perpetual. And B, he's the one who's like was willing to sacrifice himself for humanity, where no other Primarch I think is that's in that in their mind or in their DNA to do that. So oddly enough, even though I kind of you know cracked on the uh, on the salamanders earlier, I think they're probably most designed to be kind of be the one that comes out on top, right? At the end of the day, um, in my view, in my opinion. Um, because they're going to be really everything they did, the sacrifices, everything they do is for the purpose of humanity and advancing humanity. All the other ones you look at the great, like lunar wolves, dark angels, world leaders, they all have a specific purpose, a specific role to play. Well, if you, if you declare the crusade over and it's completed the Imperium, why do you need warhounds? Why do you need world leaders? Like, why? Why do you need that anymore? Yeah, it's an interesting take, and it's one of those things that they hint at so much throughout the, uh, the novels. This idea that this was always due to, as in a civil war or a cataclysmic event that sees the the legions burn each other out, so it was always meant to happen. Mm -hmm. um, it, and yeah, you, you can see the, the points that being made. I think it's I think it's interesting that the um, the crusade being over sort of view and very much it's hinted in well, it's not hinted, it's directly sort of stated that the Emperor saw the Crusade as complete enough for him to start the next phase. When actually I, I think that's the, the, the part that people miss is it complete enough for him to start the next phase, which is why he's brought. It's not complete. There's a reason why um, the Emperor makes Horus a war master, declares one of his sons a war master, it doesn't matter which one, um, because there is still crusading to be done. Interestingly, there's one of the parts of the, I think it's one of the Siege of Terror books, where they say that he hates the term crusade, Mm -hmm. uh, the emperor saw the word crusade as a as as something that it's not crusade implies that sort of religious um, zealotry, although it was imperial truth, but that sort of zealotry behind what you're doing. Whereas it wasn't; it was like a great rescue, is how he saw it. Secure the human race, not. Um, necessarily conquer the galaxy itself um, as an end. The, the conquering of the galaxy is so that humanity can persevere. And once the galaxy is conquered, and you think about that um, uh, terrestrial part, you can take away the threat of the, of the spiritual by 
been used to the whiteboarding rather than having to rely on the wall. So it's very interesting. And I suppose you could get into the whole actually what were the navigator households, what was their part in the heresy, which is something that's never touched on. Because if you're a navigator, your wealth, your everything is built upon the ability to travel through the warp. And if the emperor is about to end that, are you actually going to be that loyal? It's quite an interesting piece to think about. But perhaps for another time. Yeah, I was, was going to say, I think with the emperor, I think a lot of people, I think there's a lot of camps when it comes to the emperor. Like, Obviously, if you're a traitor, you think he's adult, he's a, he's a moron, you know, how could he not see this coming? Oh, he lied with imperial truth. Um, I look at it a different, I, I see him more as like a, a deeper character in the fact that he is very consistent in what he does and templates are always laid before him, right? I mean, if you if anyone's read the Valdor book, Valdor book in there, you know, goes into the Thunder Legions and Primarchs, like he, everything's a test for something else, right? He's testing everything as he goes along. And I honestly think from a different angle where people are like, oh, he doesn't believe that the gods, I think ultimately he knew, obviously, because he's been there, that they existed. I think he also knew as one of the possible games, long-term game and paths that these Primarchs that he created could lend and look to those powers to help them. And I think, because it's weird if you look, like you said, the crusade is done good, you know, well enough or it's set up or it's complete enough. There's so much more of the galaxy that really hadn't been conquered and it was still out there. But yeah. I think he foresaw and he knew like this is going to come and this is going to escalate a little bit faster. And that's why he went back to Terra. And I think what he is is just he's a creator where his creation, you know, kind of turned on him where he was going to use it for the tool that he needed to, and then he was going to put the tool away just like he did with the Thunder Warriors, and there was going to be a next phase. It just escalated faster than he, I think he under, you know, in his lack of hubris, underestimated the powers of chaos and mm -hmm. their willingness to do it, you know, because I know there's been a lot of spoilers and stuff, and you guys touched on them last episode of kind of, you know, where the origins and how they were scattered and things like that. So I think he underestimated the powers of chaos because i think in his true power i think he is more powerful than them because think of how much power and how much planning and scheming they had to do to go to the point that they did and obviously we know the end of the story is not successful but i think there's their machinations and everything they do they have to unite to defeat him where he is solely his own and he can go out there and conquer the galaxy and create these things but it goes all the back way in the beginning. He put those specific flaws in there for a reason, right? Because he wants to be able to pull pull the lever. Because one thing that we'll never know, hopefully one day, GW grows the brass balls to do it, but find out what happened to those other two legions. Because those could be templates also, because they hint at it all through the books, like, oh, our brothers were censured. You know, when they were talking about Logar and First Heretic, Right, where they're, you know, we're like, do we need to censure them like we had to do before? And then, you know, that kind of weighs on, you know, lower, like, were they going to wipe me out like my other two brothers? Were they ever going to remember me? That type of thing. So, yeah, you know, it, there's a lot of layers to it. And I, it's very simplistic. It's very meme like. It's very hot take of our modern society to be like, 
oh, well, he's dumb because, or Rolo Dorn's poor at his job, you know, like these quick, like little things that you can throw out. But if you really dive deep into the material, there's so many levels and things have been laid out for you. You yeah. just got to do a little critical thinking on it. With the missing two legions, though, I always look at it as if you think every single uh, Primarch or Legion has a certain aspect that the Emperor wanted, well, could they have been null? One of the a null Primarch? Because the, we, we know the Emperor can't be touched by the Chaos Gods. And what could one of them be exactly the same as that? Or could they have actually been a presence in the warp, but not uh, in the material universe? There's so many different options that when you start going into, you know, every every Primarch has an opposite. So, you know, you look at them. Well, what's Magnus's op- opposite? There isn't one. So was one of them his opposite number? You know, you've got uh, Dawn and Perperabo. Perperato, sorry, I always say that wrong. Uh, they're opposites. You know, you've got opposites with, say, Alpha Legion, Raven Guard. You know, every Legion tends to have an opposite number. Well, could Magnus's uh, opposite number be someone who repulsed the uh, warp rather than uses it or destroys the warp let's see i have a theory on magnus like i think magnus is almost a clone of the emperor right because you gotta think that he his power is only second to the emperor and i think the emperor inherently put that flaw in there that his space wings would just eventually die out right like i mean that's where the flaw was in there so that he already built it in so like oh well you have no legion you have to be at my side you have to be with me right and he had the plans for the golden throne for him so i think he played an important role almost like he stands out above his brothers because he's most like his father and if he's most like his father and he has no sons would he not have to go with the emperor right so that's why I kind of like, and, and we'll never know until they, they dive into those, those archetypes that they have of those two chapters. I mean, I definitely could see it, right? You could definitely make an argument. There is, you know, one of them can be null, but like maybe one of them mutated or maybe one of them, maybe they, they started an early rebellion. We'll never know. Um, or maybe. I think there's a deeper plan with Magnus. Yeah, for sure. You um, never know. The warp it can, you can go into the warp and arrive ahead of time or in the far future. I like the idea personally that one of the legions was the legion of the damned. That'd be cool. Yeah, I, 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 I would just like to see them. I would love to them to pull back the curtain a little bit because if you look at it business wise, they're going to make gobs of money on that book series if you think about it, right? But I also think what happens is. If you look at the context of Horace Heresy when Forge World's done with all the black books and all that stuff, obviously the story is coming to an end, right? What do you do now? Why why wouldn't you not do a great crusade? You already have, like if they put out plastic Mark II Marines, you have everything there. 
you just poured it over and now you can add in Xenos races and other things. And then you can really tie it. I mean, think about how crazy those books would go. Mm. If you did a great book, a great crusade series, like black library did another 50 books, all that stuff that goes along in there. And then you drop the little nuggets about, you know, the previous two legions that were gone, because I mean, how many people went out and bought the book Legion when they found out, you know, they were twins, right? Like that was like a huge, like nugget that was buried in there. Well, so, I think I think yeah. we'll have to do another show just on the miss, missing two prime. Yeah, <laughs> you can go on a whole other. Yeah. we we'll definitely do. We'll, next time we'll do sh- uh Next time we get you on, we'll do a show on the missing two prime marks. Yeah. That sounds great. I yeah. love the title. That's... And then we'll uh, we can all do a bit of research. By research, I mean you guys can do it, and I'll just. <laughs> awesome we'll just shoot the shit yeah <laughs> okay well that ends the quick fire round rapid fire well it definitely wasn't know. rapid fire was it no <laughs> yeah. okay I think we'll, we'll drop there and we'll come back after the segment so we're going to do now guys we're going to start talking about probably the most iconic um, part of a Space Marine's equipment, which is his power armor. Be it 30k or 40k, the silhouette of a Space Marine uh, is absolutely synonymous with the games workshop hobby. And I think all of us, certainly on this podcast, um, are just being drawn from childhood into this hobby by the coolness of these walking, absolute beasts of human beings inside suits of the most finely wrought um, adamantium plate that humanity can build. And we thought it would be really interesting to start uh, or just to re-explore what power armor is. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but it's always been something that has fascinated me. And with the heresy in particular, you're in a period of time where the earlier marks of power armor are are not ancient and revered suits, which they become in, in the 41st millennium. These are brand new, newly minted, newly forged suits of armor um, that basically allow humanity to reconquer the galaxy. So I guess what we should, should say is, what is power armor? Um, and interestingly, I mean, the law has changed a number of times. Fundamentally, the thing about power armor and space marines that allows a space marine to operate is the black carapace, which is one of the implants that gets put into uh, space marines as they're growing up. So um, the neophyte, the last part of, um, of the transition from baseline human to augmented super warrior, is the fusing of the ribcage and the black carapace being um, put into the subdermal layer, which is essentially the ability or the, the organ sort of biological component, sort of half mechanical component that allows a human being to interact properly and fully in tuned to the armor that they are wearing. The idea of power armor is not something new and unique to uh, the Emperor and the Imperium, indeed, power armor in the background of the, the Warhammer 
um, universe, 140,000 universe, um, uh, has been around since the dark age of technology. Indeed, it's probably one of the um, standard template constructs that was sent out with humanity into the galaxy. And all through the period of the Age of Strife, techno-barbarians on Earth had versions of power armor. Power armor was worn by, and it, get, and it gets encountered across the Great Crusade by other uh, races of humans. Um, it's not really until the emperor comes along and reveals himself as the emperor that power armor starts to develop into something more than just suits of uh, augmented plate or carrying ability. Indeed, the power armor that adorns the Thunder Warriors, which later becomes known as Mark I, is the first true formation of, of an armored suit that boosts the capabilities of Gene Hans warriors in a way that other barbarian tribes haven't done. And this is the Mark I armor suit that basically allows the Emperor to reconquer terror. So, I don't know if people have, have seen Thunder Armour before, but if you haven't been able to see it, it's similar to Mark II armour, um, and all other forms of armour, in that it has a carapace, it has pauldrons, it has leg armour, and it has a, an atomic backpack to power it, but it's not a fully enclosed suit. Indeed, the guys in all the illustrations that you will see wear open-faced helmets um, with ballistic goggles and amazing plumes coming off the top of them. And yeah. they originally... They all have fantastic uh, hair, don't they? There's no bald yeah. ones. No. <laughs> it's, it's not designed for um, for the hair suit to put it that way. Yeah, they, to, to me, those heads always look like it, that. That's something like a guitarist out of the band War would wear, or like someone would wear to like a an eighties like death metal like concert. Just like uh, like Oakley sunglasses, and then just like a top knot on it, like a helmet with a top knot on it. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to describe. Yeah, it's almost like you get uh, some of the Cadian sprues have a head. It has glasses like uh, mm -hmm. worn. It's kind of like them, but with the top mark. And as I say, this as a suit of armor, it's not a fully enclosing suit. It offers no um, atmospheric protection or life support facilities because all of these were unnecessary when the when the emperor was fighting on Terra. Um, you know the the only powered part of the armor really that the Thunder Warriors in particular wore was in the arms and the torso to allow them that extra strength. The leg um, armor was essentially just plate of ceramite and adamantium um, rather than an actual powered element. It was the top that was powered. And as said, this was really good for combat on, on terror and the unification of the planet because, hey, we're all in this atmosphere and we kind of know it. But if you're looking to spread out into the galaxy and to reconquer the galaxy, you're going to need something different. Uh, and this is where we end up with Mark II armor coming around. To be fair to power armor, though, it was all that was needed at the time. 
it done its job. So, you know, there wasn't a need for Mark II, like you say. Because just with the Thunder Warriors, the Emperor was able to swiftly uh, bring the planet into compliance. Uh, have you guys read Valdor the book yet? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so... I think one of the the, the illustrate and I, it will probably lead into to the second one. I totally love when they were fighting in Old Albion, and they had the they had basically like the Mark II armor, and the Thunder Warriors just like they were you know they couldn't kill them, you know they couldn't wipe them out, but they weren't dying to them either because their weaponry wasn't. And I think that was very fascinating how like that was like you know one of the arts of the Emperor was like, okay, check it out. We'll bring you into the fold, but you got to give me that. STC for that power armor to help me out here, <laughs> you know, that kind of like brokering that deal. And uh, I always found that kind of fascinating in that book. Yeah. I, so one of the unification, I mean, this is a show in of itself talking about unification. Yeah, the, the understanding of how the disparate, disparate elements of humanity on terror still retained cultural um, identities and jealously guarding technological wonders. And as you say, old Albia had suits of power armor that were something else, uh, and very much what the emperor, when he brings them into the fold, uh, really, really wants from them, that technology. Um, so that he can develop it and adapt it and change it to what he needs. And the Mark One armor, even even into um, the forty first millennium, still exists apparently. Some of the chapters, uh, and I'm assuming the uh, the chapters that they talk about are first founding, but you never know. It could be some of the others. Do you retain copies of Mark One Thunder armor as it came to be known due to the amount of thunderbolts that were that adorned it? Um, they still retain it for honor guards and, and whatnot. Because it is a classic piece of imperial history, um, and it's absolutely the foundation upon which the future power armor um, can be based. But it must be said that Thunder armor, that Mark One armor, is a is a Terran armor. It's something that's honed, developed, refined upon the birth world. Um, but with the unification that comes with Mars, that allows the Emperor to develop first true power armor for galactic conquest, which is, as we've already mentioned, Mark II armor. Uh, Gaz, have you got any views on Mark II armor that you want to mention now? I wish I'd bring out some uh, plastic Mark II armor. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone wants that. <laughs> like, yeah. To be honest with you, and this is this is one of the same. So I think the one thing about Mark II that everyone knows, but uh, it's one of the big designs of it is you can't move the helmet. So it's a fixed position helmet. Uh, one of the weekenders was talking to Alan Bly all about it. And he says, ah, oh. he says, the problem with Mark II, we know it's a fixed helmet, but if you equip all your space marines 
with you know front facing uh, heads. He says it it makes your army look a bit weird and dull. And I just said to him straight away, "So you calling my uh, army shit?" <laughs> <laughs> he didn't. He did not know where to look. But to be fair, it was just a joke. It's uh, he was a really nice bloke. I I can't emphasize what a great loss he is. It, the knowledge of him was absolutely fantastic. When he started, he talked about uh, Mark II and all the ones after that. It's just, it w- was a great loss. Yeah, it was, absolutely. But, um, so turning back to Mark II itself. So Mark II was this new type of armour for, um, for the Crusade. Uh, and after the unification of Mars... Thunder Armour became known as Mark I, retrospectively Crusade, Crusade Zoo, the Mark II armour, uh, gained that, um, that that title. Um, as discussed before, this is a totally enclosed, life-sustaining suit, and it's so it's essentially suitable for fighting on alien worlds as well as in deep space. Um, What's really cool is it's arranged into articulated hoop-shaped plates for ease of movement, um, and these cover the entirety of the legs as well, um, which gives it that really Roman legion appearance. It looks like Lorica segmentatum, um, which, as an ultramarine player in the first instance, absolutely... Uh, fits the aesthetic as far as I'm concerned. So do you think it suits Ultramarines more than any other Legion? I don't think it suits them more than any other Legion, but it certainly suits them in terms of that sort of classical warrior look in, in, in many ways more than others. I don't know, Carl, do you, what was your view on the Mark II suit of plate. Uh, so for me, and I think Gaz kind of hit it like right on on the head. Um, for me, I want the plastic second armor, the Mark II armor, because I think this is in my mind's eye. Like there's certain legions that it just, I think of that boom and it just ties me directly. One of them being Dark Angels. For some reason, I just think that looks like knights. That looks like something, in the, you know, the kind of, baroque you know just kind of more ancient armor i also think of world eaters rocking a lot of mark ii um ultramarines i i could see it to a certain extent but i don't know i think when i think of ultramarines i just think of that sexy mark IV. that's what i just think they would like because it's always new it's sleek it's cutting edge you know and i just see like goleman always kind of being on top like I gotta have the newest. I gotta make sure my guys are kitted out with the best. And uh, you know, to me, I think of you know Mark II to a certain extent. Like those chapters. Like for some reason, White Scars. I think of White Scars as having it too. Yeah, yeah, as well. You know, just some of those chapters. No, I'm not saying. But I also see. I mean, Ultramarines. I think will just collect whatever works best for them, right? Um, and I think some of their old torsos that they used to have and produce for forward world i think it matches really well with the second the mark ii armor so visually i think it is very appealing uh but i think there's i would say probably white scars you know um 
dark angels and and to a certain extent um world leaders would be more in my eye of who i would see rocking that armor I think I can completely understand that viewpoint, especially with the Dark Angels. I mean, they are, after all, the First Legion, uh, and this is the first suit of armor that they'd have been properly provided with. Um, so, yeah, I, I can absolutely see it. And I think as well in that color scheme as well, you know, the black, black and metallic um, uh, paint jobs that you can put on them with the checkers and whatnot. I think that would really, you know, if Mark II uh, were in production still by by Fourth by World, it would be amazing to see arms picked up in that. Yeah, that, lend, that lends well to Ga Gaz's point. Like, if you can't get it at Fourth World, maybe, and now I'm not even being like a conspiracy guy, like it's coming down the road, but I'm like, you know, GW has just been closed down. Forge World has just been closed down for a while. Maybe they got that in the hopper. They can bring that bad boy out for around Christmas. You know, you know, even though they've been doing great financially, it's good to really capitalize on those dollars. And I mean, I think as as Horace uh, Horace Heresy fans, we've been kind of lacking like that kind of oomph release for a while, right? <laughs> so, and what other perfect time like if you release book nine in the next couple months maybe even christmas they're mark two related you could do something you know um but also i don't know what their machinations and what's going on i'm just saying if, in, in a dreamer's world you know that would be amazing i think a lot of people if there was to release plastic well any of the plastic troops even though people have the resin copies they'd still go out and buy the plastics because i've people just prefer plastic i think that they're, they're that bit more bulky a uh, bit of a bigger model and you don't have to worry about them chipping anywhere near as much as resin mm -hmm. i'm that way like if it has plastic if it's all plastic i'm in i just love it i just think it's more to work with but i do i mean obviously i have resin models i love it but it's not a, it's just if I, if I can get it all plastic i mean that's what happens when those plastic box sets came out. I sold my Emperor's Children. I was like, get that out of here. Be gone. I now have Mark IV. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I'm, I'm bringing in, you know, the plastic ones. Yeah. I thought, yeah. We'll get to Mark IV in a minute. But so in terms of, so the armor, the fluff of the armor is that this is, uh, like we say, a fully enclosed suit. I think they, they um, retroactively changed the, the law gas so the helmet is supposed to be um you can move it in the x-axis but not the y-axis no you've still got to keep the uh still got to keep it straight well you can yeah, pivot I the mean, body you can piv pivot the bodies that's how that's how i did my legion but but the yeah but the official officially uh, you can do left and right in it but that's about it um but yeah, it's it's the basic. It's the first suit. It's the suit that allows them to go out. The, the auto senses are, uh, you know, for want of a better term, uh, foundational. Uh, you know, they can see you. Uh, uh, what infrared? So they've got they've got the sort of predator type view. They can change to um, uh, IR. So, sorry, the IR. They can change to. Uh, 
So the the backpack the backpack is roughly the same size as the Mark One, but it's much yeah. more efficient, isn't it? It's got life ex life ex support, air recycling, fluid recovery equipment, and medical devices. So you know, can pump the Space Marine full of drugs. You know, yeah, that's it. for injury. It allows him to be a space marine. It allows yeah. him to fight um, where, where atmosphere does not exist, and that's what's that's what's cool about it. And as as every evolution progresses, the Mark II outline, the shape of the Mark II armor, which is subtly, well, it's not subtly different. It's fundamentally different from the first Mark. In that it's a fully enclosing set, enclosing set of plates. There's no chain mail. There's no um, yeah. rubberized areas. This is a full suit of armor. It can be used and in just, toxic atmospheres and space, unlike the Mark One. Yeah, and, and it's just it is the it is the foundation upon which all the brands have created. Which leads us to Mark Three, which but what, absolutely. I think just before we get to Mark Three, it should be said it was very difficult to repair that. Yeah. 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 It's the the, the hoop nature, the fact that there's um, you know, if you damage one part, you have to take four bits off in order to get to it. Field repairs are difficult, um, and also the artifice of it. It's not so one of the whilst it provides protection. The ability to turn it into a beautiful work of art uh, that comes subsequently with other elements uh, and other armor marks doesn't really exist. Yeah, but I, I think sometimes that's more to do with the at the time it was just mass production, whereas especially in the forty k universe, I know there's different a mark of armor, but it's more refined. It's more time is taken over each piece because it's more rare whereas in the heresy it was just mass production you can just imagine an assembly line yeah that's how i that, view it anyway i mean that kind of goes back to what you were saying kyle about the the special units and which units you can see it in because i think it's is it the world eaters um cedary carter Ram Peters, I think they, yeah. they they rock it. They wear it, and and I think some of the white scars they've got it on as well, haven't they? Well, I think kind of back to your point on Ultramarines, I think it's a very like gladiatorial style, like right, you know, kind of. I think that's why it looks really good on the world leaders, kind of fits their background, and I mean, you could make that argument, same thing, kind of that Greek Roman background for Ultramarines, it can overlay on top of each other. Right. Mm. The, the aesthetic um i mean kind of to your point too it, to me i mean especially when you look at the, the the picture it's like rings on top of rings on top of rings so it's like oh i took a you know a, i don't know a last bolt or something and damaged something in my left you know uh leg armor you gotta like take all the rings off find out where the damage is internally put all the rings back on so it is intensive and i think that's where that artisan value could come into it Right where they're etching them and they're taking the extra care into it, um, and kind of a revered armor. That makes sense. Yeah. So you could, yeah, absolutely. I guess 
etching the plate is a, is a good way to go uh, if you're going to make this. Thing. In terms of the actual moment end, so Forgeworld no longer produces Mark II armor um, kits, which is a shame. Um, there are individual units, as we mentioned, where you can get that are, that are clearly clad in Mark II plate, but for generic legions, it's not there anymore, which is a real shame. But what does exist in plastic and able for uh, every legion to use is Mark III armor. So Mark III is the next evolution of power armor. And it's essentially a Mark II suit with bolted on protection. So the iron armor, as it came to be known, sees um, adamantium ceramite plates being placed as a full carapace um, and as uh, shin greaves and fire protection and arm protection on top of existing suits of Mark II. Uh, and is a plastic kit that is produced on mass by Kate Workshop and Fortfold. And I don't know what your guys' view is, but I really, really like Mark III armor. I I like it because I think I like it more for uh, like the evolution of it, right? So I think you kind of you hit on the point. Mark II was great; it helped for the unification wars and kind of going in crusade. But I think Mark III is a logical. Um, kind of evolution on that path of okay, now we're encountering other societies that maybe have heavier weapons, uh, other Xenos races, and we're doing a lot more boarding actions and we're going on ships. We need something that's gonna give us that front armor. So, kind of like in a way, interlacing the idea for Thunder Armor on top of Mark II and giving that, that extra protection. And then you just kind of see, um, you know, in the case of like. Uh, Iron Warriors, you're getting those protracted sieges, sieges, you're going to need something that's going to give you more protection. So I can definitely see that natural evolution right into Mark III. It's almost very seamless in, mm. in many respects. But Mark III was never meant to replace it, was he? It was just very role-pacific is why they brought it out. for, Like you say, four boarding actions. I know they talk about the squats. Apparently they had too, many, too high casualties fighting them. So they made more, it was more bolstered at the front, but weaker at the back. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a it's a full frontal assault armor. That's what it's intended to be. It's also too heavy for um, use with jump pack. One of the things that, I, that really frustrates me is when you see, and it is, this is just me being a bit cakey, but we should know that. But when you see people that attach certainly Mark IV jump packs to Mark III armor, it just it rankles because it's supposed to be too heavy to be lifted by, by a jump pack. But hey, there we are. But you're right, it absolutely in the fights against the, the different throngs of the squats, um, the, the space police of different legions found Mark II armor wasn't protecting them the way they wanted. And, they're fighting through tunnel systems, etc. So, yeah, bolt some extra armor onto the front um, to allow us to do this assault and off we go. And it is the most brutal, well, 
it's one of the most brutal looking up there with the Mark V. Yeah. Um, I, it's definitely an Iron Warriors mark to me. He, I think if he was yeah. doing Iron Warriors, I would definitely have just Mark III. No, I wouldn't bother with Mark IV, just Mark III. Yeah, I can see the, the Imperial Fists wearing it a lot for that yeah. standard defender defensive position. So that juxtaposition, as you said earlier, Jazz, with um, Iron Warriors and Imperial Fists, it works. I think it will work with, uh, with that Legion. Kyle, what, Iron, Iron Hands as well. Yeah. yeah. I, f I think as well, some someone like uh, World Eaters, because they would want as maximum amount of uh protection on the front as they charge in so i think it does work with them I, yes i know it's slower but i think they definitely suit it more than mark four i think you hit it. i mean if you make like a, a themed like zone mortalis army how awesome would that look just decked out you know world leaders and I mean that that visually speaks to me right there. You know, even if you want to say the maneuverability is a little bit less, you're talking like they're brutal. They're gonna charge through. They're gonna that dreadclaw hits that ship or that boarding torpedo hits that ship. They're busting through and they're ready to to duke it out. So I, I definitely can see that as well. Yeah. You know, when you're talking about the world leaders, I just, it is one of them marks though. I think it does suit all legions. I think if you put any legion. In that armor, you can make it work. It looks good. Yeah. I mean, you. I always thought the Blood Angels were a bit more of a Mark IV, but then when you see the what they've produced with Cygnus Prime at, at Warhammer World, I look at Mark III and think, oh, actually, maybe I should do Mark III instead because mm -hmm. it looks... So the, the only Legion that I, I don't really get my head around wearing it is... For some reason, a thousand suns, which is the, it's the armor mark they put in the box set when it was done. The burn was it burning the Prospero? The actual yeah. box set. This um, is where this was first released. I don't know. Iron armor, Mark III armor, never really struck me as a particular thousand suns um, armor set. Yeah, an alpha Le alpha legion as well, probably because it's it's not very stealth like, is it? It's very uh, it's very heavy. Yeah, yeah. And, and you can yeah. I just think the what I do like about Mark III is it's the first time you can start to really get some properly beautiful sets of armor being put together. Mm. So yes, you've got the base. You know, carapace and leg armor, and, you know, bolster bits and pieces. But this is where you can really start to add um, formed and shaped artifice to the armor sets. So, what do you guys think about the backpack? Because, I mean, before you become onto Mark Four, that is a totally different style of backpack. I actually quite like the Mark Three and Mark Two style of uh, backpack rather than the later editions of it. I like the brutal industrial look of it. I would agree. I mean, I like 
the, I think the one I think we would all agree is the evolutionary scale that is actually tangible and you can feel it, you can see it by the way these suits progress. Um, you know, to me, and I did it when, as you know, I mentioned earlier before when I was doing black shields, that was like the first time, first attempt where, you know, they're out, you know, scavenging and taking what they can, where I was really mixing, uh, Mark four and Mark five and Mark six kits and all that stuff to get kind of like, you know, that, that kind of scavenger view of it. You know, they don't look that bad on Mark four, but it just, to me, like aesthetically, maybe it's just been so ingrained in my mind. Like I couldn't see a Mark three backpack on or like a Mark four. It just doesn't, you know, it looks clunky and brutal and fits perfectly with like iron armor. I just don't see it transitioning that style to like Mark four. Yeah. Right. It's not a, it looks like because you you can see like you know in the design room they're like okay well if we chop those down and we make them more round they'll fit you know more more sleek you'll be able to move and you know i think it definitely has a place and to kind of go back to the plastic mark ii what i would like to see because we talk about like what armies are more fitting for this armor or that armor what i would like to see because this is the beautiful thing about 30k right so like even if you played like white scars right which you're Mm -hmm. like oh that's not really uh, mark three armor but the legion is so vast why wouldn't they have boarding action elements why wouldn't they there's so many companies within that legion that can specialize in things like ultramarines are all beautiful and they're all about peace you know in, in a certain extent you know in order but they have a whole entire destroyer uh you know uh company right so you have that flexibility and that's where having that mark two comes in you're now like I can I can put out a, an army, which I would love to do is put out an army. And I like I got Mark two, Mark three, and Mark four intermixed into units, right? Because then they're going to give suits to dudes. Like here's the new Mark four, you're a new recruit, you've been around a while. Here's a Mark three, so it really gives that aesthetic that it's all mixed in there. But I mean, you can go very custom if you want. Like if you're Iron Warriors, you want to do all Mark three, everyone's down with that. You know, I think visually it would looks you know look really well. And obviously, on the tabletop. as we do in the Heresy, anyone would just get any uh, armor they could. Mm-hmm. You know, it would have just been grab every single piece you can. It doesn't matter if it would be Mark II or Mark IV. If there was a new suit of armor, they'd be taking it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we'll come to that in a, in a second. Then, because we mentioned Mark IV there, so let's quickly move on to what Mark IV was. So, Mark Mark II and Mark III were the mainstay of most of the early part of the Crusade in particular. Um, but as it progressed, the, the forge planes of Mars realized that improvements can be made. And this is certainly the time where the, the Martian mechanicum was not as fixed in its, in its view. Um, and what they learned from practical experience and the capture of more STCs as the Crusade expanded was ways of refining and honing um, production of armor plate, which led to the Mark IV um, suits of armor. Now, the Mark IV suits of armor is probably the most widely used in the terms of the heresy, um, certainly by. Uh, the start of the heresy, most legions have been fielded with complete suits of Mark IV. I think it's definitely the one that it's the start of the iconic look of Space Marines, isn't it? 
the Mark IV. Yeah. You could, if you had a Mark IV Space Marine as opposed to say a Mark VIII, you can see the uh, how close resemblance they are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can, so you can. This is the. I mean, it's. I really like the shape of the torso armor. Um, it's something that, as a Sons of Horus player, that really fits with a lot of the um, the way that the Legion looked. It's on the surface is one thing. It's the inside of the suit that supposedly where most of the advances are being made. The neural connectors get better. The ability to move the head in all planes um, is introduced. Uh, the armor becomes thinner, but provides more protection because of the different ways that they've alloyed elements of it together. And it's really it's it's quite a nice um, reflection of history of our own medieval history when we move from chainmail. To sort of segmented plate to then the ability to form full complete plates of armor yeah and full complete this is the first full complete suit of armor um, it still has elements that are exposed so there are cablings on the on the outside of the chest plate in particular that surround the cuirass but it's the first suit of armor where because of the shape of the cuirass because of the way it's built you can really start to see artifice being brought in um, and certainly the first proper suits of artificer armor seem to all be based on mark four rather than any earlier types of armor yeah well i mean it is like you touched on earlier it's a much lighter armor uh that was able to reduce the size and number of cables and also it gave the ability of jump packs again. Yeah. And a, and a refined type of jump pack. So whereas the Mark II jump pack allows, um, involves two big converger engines, the Mark IV suit of armor, the jump pack that was created for this much lighter suit uh, was one turbo pack. And in fact, is what the Sanguinary Guard are still clad in. Yeah. And I think it should be mentioned that this uh, suit of armor was much e more easily ma maintained than uh, previous armors. Yeah. Which... Oh, what's your view on, on the Mark IV suit? Uh, Mark IV is my favorite. I think it's like hot sex. Like it's just amazing. I just, I, I I think it's such an amazing suit of armor. Even if we remove ourselves from Horus Heresy for a second, I mean, even if you look at the new Primaris models, that helmet is essentially a Mark IV helmet, right? Like I think it's just very iconic. It's very, it's just it's just there's not a flawed line on it, right? It's just sleek. It just looks great. And I think what happens is if we bounce back into Horus Heresy if you match that with how brutal the first two look you know and if you do have a thunder armor model somewhere in there and you've mixed it in your army like it just looks like the future right like this is the future like and and then if you think about a storyline right like this is coming out the crusade is done look like this is the age, this is the age of the 
you know, the kind of that art deco, like this is the future, right? This is how great we're going to be because looking at this work of art that we've created. Um, I, I'm really a fan. It's probably my favorite armor. Um, besides, I mean, it's outside. It was Mark 8 and 40K. I really liked how the Gorgia came up, came up a like higher. But besides that, I mean, Mark 4 to me is my favorite. It's really my favorite armor. Yeah, it's, it's a, it is the iconic, I think, in many ways. And uh, so it's hard for me because the net suit of armor that we're about to talk about is my favorite suit of armor. But this one is probably, as you say, the one that makes you think of the heresy. Uh, and I think that's because, number one, it's what is shown on a lot in the artwork. Most of the sort of early days of the Black Ivory piece. Uh, or novels, the artwork showed Mark IV clad um, Astartes on all the covers. Um, it's the first one where you can really see the uh, artifice that, that is brought into it by the Legion serfs and artificers. You can see them shape pauldrons into everything from eagles to lionheads to burning books to whatever uh, the reason civil might be. Um, it looks like the future, as you say. It brings that idea of hope. So whereas the, uh, before, it's very much, um, you know, it's that crusade, it's that unification, it's coming out of the dark ages. This is the first proper suit of knightly armor in terms of shining armor, of the renaissance that people think about it's mm -hmm. it, it looks like something that french knights at agincourt would have wore rather than templar knights in jerusalem it, it looks like the future as you as you rightly say the bolter becomes a slightly smaller caliber bolter as the standard side arm because the the ability of the marine side to move quicker to bring things to bear faster um means that a slightly smaller caliber weapon system links better with it. It's not so much of a swing time. The close combat weapons become much more sleek uh, as opposed to the brutality of the Mark II, Mark III time and the weapon systems that they had. And, and overall, it becomes, it just looks, it just looks like um, humanity, you know, something that humanity Five warriors should be clad in. And, and interestingly, like you say, the, the armor of the Primaris Marines later on uh, in you know ninth edition looks more like it's the lineage of of this set of armor than anything else. Well, I I think the armor looks like straight out like if if you were to do like a propaganda poster, right? Wouldn't you want a bunch of Marines clad in this armor instead of like, because like to me, Crusade armor and iron iron armor look like Mark III look like we're coming for your children at night while you're sleeping. Like we're going to haunt your dreams. We're going to burn your empires to the ground. That the Mark IV to me visually looks like, okay, we've conquered. We no longer need those tools of old. Now what we do is we want to have like the poster boy. You know, and then like if you think of like uh, Starship Trooper, kind of like cheesy like propaganda video, like I could see a bunch of guys like 
you know, holding their helmets in the crook of their arm and they're like, you can be a Marine too. Right. And then they look all like the future, like all this hope, like everything is encased in that. And, but it's that nastiness under the surface that, you know, leads us into the other armors and leads us into the stories that, you know, progress. Because if you look at like uh, the old uh, Sons of Horses, you mentioned like torso pieces and you look at stuff that fits on there, it starts to get brutal again, right? Spikes and more exposed, you know, tubing. And um, it's almost like that's like the pinnacle and then it, you know, kind of falls off the, the map a little bit with the next set armor. Yeah, and just before we move on to it, I think that's very much what they say uh, in the in the sort of background is that this was almost a almost a pinnacle of power armor design, and it allowed so much else to be done. And like you say, this is the this is the mainstay armor that you start to see specialized units. So the Sons of Horus Reavers and Torsos are all Mark Four, the Ultramarines, and I'm bringing up the two legions I've here, but the uh, the Ultramarines. Um, armor is a variant of the Mark IV setup. Um, the word bearers are too. The word bearers um, are, it. yeah. The, the the blood angels. I think some of the dark mm-hmm. angel stuff is. Well, we've got some of this. It's weird to say that the dark angels stuff. They're played with. Could be Mark II. It could be Mark IV. Could be whatever. Um, but Forge World itself have used this as the baseline kit. I think. For a lot of the designs that have come out, so the Palatine blade, blade squads, they're in Mark, modified Mark IV suits um, as well. It, it's just it's such a nice template to build upon, and to you know the shapes, the outlines, the silhouette that it creates just allows that really nice uh, mix of of art detail uh, to be put on top of something that has that is supposed to be the pinnacle of perception. And, and I think there's certain, you know, legions when you look at it, like Emperor's Children, like you mentioned, I think look, the purple just pops on Mark IV. You know, it, it looks it looks weird in, in a certain respect on, like, Mark II because you have those, you know, those segmented pieces of plate um, while you have on Mark III, you have the, the smooth surfaces on the front, on the back, once you get your segmented. But I just think it's that, like, Emperor's Children, just in case of that, you know, uh, Alpha Legion, Raven Guard, the, just able to move, able to infiltrate, those type of things, I think, fall just really well with Mark IV. Absolutely. Well, that leads us on to Mark V. And to me, this is my, this is my absolute favorite Mark. I mean, it's called Heresy Armor, uh, which helps. <laughs> For the horror heresy, but essentially, this is the Frankenstein suit of armor. I think um, it's the iconic uh, armor for the heresy. Obviously, I know its name, but whenever you see any of the artwork, it was always this mark, wasn't it? Of old, old fluff. Yeah, it's either it's either this or Mark Six with the beanies. It's definitely what you always end up seeing. But there are so many elements to the Mark, what became known as Mark V, that cross over into the future. So the adamantium studs, you know, the let's drop some of the plate layers uh, and use studs instead. 
the whole idea of this suit is it's cobbled together from earlier armor marks and stuff that can be found rather readily as the crusade progresses or as the heresy progresses um, it allows for easy backfield repairs but it also adds protection to the front like added protection to the front that was not there in the mark four i think it uh it lends well to black shields and anyone on the siege of terror really so Raven Guard look good in it, I think, because the survivors of this fan type piece, any of the Shattered Legions actually, would look really good in Mark V armor. Mark V is what I'm building on my despoiler squads for my Sons of Horus armor um, to be in. I, I just love the look of the, I mean, the, the studs, the armor studs on the shoulder pads exist in Mark IV armor. Um, but Mark V is a full suit, it seems, covered in these polka dots. Kyle, what's your views on the Mark V suit? Um, I, I get what you're saying, right? Um, I don't know if you ever remember what Rick and I used to call on the show. In, in many respects, to me, it's like, it's kind of foreshadowing a 40K, right? Like, look at how great it was and now we now we're bad and we forget how to make things right and so it's like hey we just forgot how to make that mark four let's make this mark five but i also understand it's in the context of you know a massive civil war is going on but we always used to joke around and we still joke around to this day we call it mark mark five herpy armor because it's got all the bumps everywhere um you know to me it it smacks of like mad max you know road warrior kind of like just cobbling together what we can and i i would agree i mean i i mixed them in it's not like i don't like it right so i mixed it into my black shields um i think i would like it more if there was a plastic kit but i think that's asking way too much um in in the scope you know i'd just get a mark ii plastic would be nice um but it just seems to me like it's it's retarded in its growth right so like here's mark four and then you retarded back to mark five instead of moving forward so it's almost like a i would almost call it like a 4.1 more than a mark five yeah access and and funny enough in the, in the background that's kind of hinty well not hinty that they they say in one of the books one of the, i think it's one of the raven guard books when they point to it and say that's Mark V, what you're wearing now. Uh, basically, any cobbled together suit, we're going to call Mark V. Interestingly, you can get plastic Mark V. You do get you get more than just a plastic Mark IV set. Should have said there are Mark IV uh, elements in both the Forty K Tactical Squad and Stone Guards Vanguard sets. And similarly, there are elements of Mark V armor in the tactical squad set for um, Warhammer 40,000 uh, for the, the normal Marines, not the Primaris Marines. There are a couple of torsos that are um, that are Mark V torsos. Uh, and in the old uh, Space Marine kits, there's a lot of the kits that they have which are founded on Mark, what looks to be Mark V armor. So, there are other ways of getting some 
So the problem is, well, you bet you want a full set. The best way to know is clearly the present sense from Fourth World. That moves us on into Mark VI. Um, iconic for the hobby, uh, and maybe not so iconic for the heresy in, in some ways. Uh, and I say that as a fan of, of the Beaky Marines. Um, but I think given the, the fact that it wasn't as prevalent at the time of the heresy, it doesn't really get the same uh, buying or love across the piece. Personally, I actually love the beak. Even in 40k before heresy, I always wanted the beaks. The Marines have preferred the beak helmet than the normal helmet. Yeah. So this is this is known as the, the Corvus suit. Um, and in the background, uh, there was a number of legions that used the suit of armor as a, or tested the suit of armor that became the Mark VI who didn't initially take so interestingly we spoke about the iron warriors before they were one of the first legions then in the in the background then the salamanders to have tried the suit um they didn't really like it for some reason perturabo really hated it and tried to get it stopped uh, but the mechanicum also lent it lent some suits to uh to the raven guards for whom this suit of armor seems to have been forged specifically uh, and it allowed for greater infiltration the beak of the helmet contains a load of extra sensors uh, and elements that allow the marine to to fully integrate with his environment and therefore for the raven guard it was a suit of armor that they particularly enjoyed whilst it didn't have the same level of protection as some of the earlier suits um, the infiltration systems that they used in their doctrine for warfare um, uh, and was adopted soon after but as full-blown Mark VI armor for all the legions. However, come the time of the heresy, not many of the legions had received great quantities of pursuits and with the logistical supply problems that were being faced which had forced the mark V to be introduced um, not everyone got vast numbers of the suit to be fielded i think one of the things you touched on earlier uh, in i can't remember where i've read it but because they hated it so much they sent uh they sent it to the Raven Guard in the hope with because the Raven Guard had such small legion numbers that if it suddenly had a high death ra- rate that it would be binned off but it suited the Raven Guard uh, war ethic straight away so they absolutely loved it and it was so well received that on Mars they integrated every single design uh request that the raven guard actually made with it because it's it's a lot quieter it helps the stealth capabilities and like some of the other ones once again it's still able to uh, have a jump pack fitted on the back yeah absolutely 
Carl, what do you think of the Mark VI? Uh, Mark VI is my second favorite armor. Um, but honestly, when I close my eyes and think about it, I instantly think of the Rogue Trader, you know, cover, right? I think of Crimson Fist in it before I think of anyone else. Um, and I think that's where maybe a bias probably from the community or even to Forge World to a certain extent where it's in such a limited number. I think it's cool if you have them mixed in your army, especially if you're like Alpha Legion or Raven Guard, you know, because Alpha Legion would be sneaky enough to steal some of that stuff um, or even be using it. They would have no idea, but it just seems to me visually, I think of that, that's like the, like horse heresy armor, boom. And then like Mark six to me would be like the scouring. That's what I think, you know, like everything's resolved. Let's go and get, here's our new Mark four. Let's go conquer the galaxy again. Right. And, and bring it back in. So, I mean, this is my personal view on it, but I think it's an amazing looking army. I've always loved Beaky Marines. I mean, that's what I grew up on. That's what I started with. Um, it will always have a soft spot in my, uh, in my heart. I just think, it's just kind of added in there, but it's using such small numbers. You know, it, at the end of the day, I don't think has a has a large impact on the overall heresy arc. If that makes sense. Yeah, of course it does, and that's I 100% agree with you. I think it's a it's an armor for yeah, scouring onwards really across across the pieces, and becomes that in that in that sense a. a an armor suit that is um, in competition with the Mark Seven that comes out, um, but yeah, I mean it's a it fits the Raven Guards clearly the name etc. But the, the way that the models that Ford World have put together look, it, it really does fit something that's iconic for them. It, it, it provides them with a uniqueness on the tabletop. You know there are. There's them, there's the Dark Angels, um, there are elements of the Sons of Horus that are in black, there's the Iron Hands. You've got a lot of black painted legions. Um, to have a legion with pointy helmets um, makes them stand out. Like you say, the, the Alpha Legion seem to field quite a number of the suits. Um, again, it suits their way of warfare in many ways. Uh, and it looks quite nice in that metallic-y teal slash blue color. Um, I mean, it looks nice in, in whichever one, but as a suit of armor, outside of, I suppose, those two legions, one or two suits in, intermingled looks great. Um, I just don't think it's something that fits the, the feel of the heresy in the same way as the other marks that we've mentioned. Um, and then I guess that leads us to the Mark Seven suit because there were people wearing Mark Seven at the Siege Terror. Those guys were lucky. They yeah, got the good stuff. <laughs> they got the good stuff. So the Aquila armor, as it comes to be known, is essentially the epitome of armor design. It's taken all the lessons that have been learned through the Great Crusade. Um, and turned them into a fully articulated suit um, with all the sensor systems that you could think put into them. Um, it's movable, it's better protected, the cabling is um, 
uh, more integrated into the actual armor itself. It interfaces well with the black carapace in a way that others haven't. Um, and is, I mean, Mark 7 is the iconic suit of armor for Space Marines. It's what I guess all of us, as we grew up, looked at in, in the majority of our uh, Space Marine forces. It's, it's what the Imperial Space Marines wore in the box set that you used to get, the little five man box set that Games Virtual produced. Um, it's what formed the basis of every other armor suit that came out uh, going forward. It's what the statue at Warhammer World is based on. It is the suit of power armor that people think of. I think most people think of when they think of space marines. And was around at the time of heresy, like I say, because of the siege terror. Some of the early suits have been recovered by the Imperial Fists, uh, returned to a frog from Mars, from the raids they did on Mars, returned to, um, to Earth and kitted out some of the, the legions that turned up there. So, going back to uh, plastic kits, if Games Workshop was to release a an assault plastic kit, which mark would you want it in? Four. <laughs> Four is that's what Carl jumped with, was it? Four? Is that what I heard? Yeah. Yeah, it's four. It, here, so four. This is going to be from a modeler's perspective as well. One thing that infuriates me more than anything with the tactical marine boxes that you have, and I understand because they're tactical, but you're very static in your close combat arms that you get, right? So all your sergeants basically end up looking the same. I think easy with a Mark IV, it's sleek, it'll match what you have. You can interchange those arms, and then you can do despoiler units. You can do all kinds of different things, and I think it gives you that flexibility to do that with Mark IV. Um, Mark II would be a little bit ahead of it if you don't even have a Mark II plastic out yet. Mm -hmm. Right? You know? Um, but there's an old commercial, I don't, know, was, I don't know if you guys had it, it was probably in the States, but someone would be complaining and then this little girl go, well, why not both? So why not have a starter where you have a Mark IV assault and a Mark II assault and then you have Mark II Marines in there. You kind of solve, because you get mm -hmm. that brutal, that brutal kind of, you know, techno barbarian looking Mark II jump pack and then you have the sleeker Mark IV uh, that would go in the same box. So, I mean, but I think that's pie in the sky dreaming type stuff. Yeah, I think <laughs> as, a, right. as a hobbyist, um, whenever we, if we look at two units and go, oh, which unit should I buy? We'll always say both. But Games Workshop yeah. never does ex the same. If they're produ if they're going all oh, which kit do they should we produce juice? It's only going to be one. It's never going to be both. And I think if you look at, I mean, I think Horus Heresy players are a different breed, right? You know, they try to look and I think they're more of a historical gamer trapped in a kind of new age forty k games workshop type gamer body. That makes sense. Like if you look at. Especially this is heresy, and the heresy is the history of what's going on, right? So you're playing something that happened long ago. And I think as a community, if they got Mark II plastic, you know, troops and a Mark IV, like, jump pack, I think we'd be happy as pig and shit. Like, we wouldn't 
we wouldn't care. Like, I don't, Hey, if you gave us boarding memories and plastic, awesome. But if not, that's, that's fine. Right. I think it's just getting those basic marks of armor and, and assaults, like probably the two most popular units in plastic would do the best. I mean, we've already gotten Tartarus in plastic and cataphract in plastic, which we probably never thought we'd get. Right. Why not do the, the Mark two and maybe a Mark four. Well, especially so. as we mentioned earlier, Sanguinary Guard have already got the plastic Mark IV jump pack. So mm-hmm. that's already on the systems. It's, I think Mark IV would definitely be the easier one to produce rather than the Mark II or Mark V for that matter. Yeah, I, I think any starter set would be Mark IV. Yeah. Well, you could almost if uh, if you look at the Night Raptor plastic one, that's essentially a Mark II. It's a sleeker version of a Mark II jump pack. So you already kind of have that on file. You just have to take all the damn claws and eyeballs and other crap that's on there. You just which would be easy. Just and well, as I say, it would be easy as I'm a model designer or something. But you know, you would go in there and kind of to to line it up because I think a lot of the times. Forge World and Games Workshop sometimes overthink things, right? And walk too many paths. And I mean, if you look back to like, you know, the Battle of Calf and or Betrayal of Calf or whatever, I can't even remember so long ago. Uh, if you look how that, that was like a beautifully simplistic and amazing box, right? You got enough troops in Mark IV, you got Terminator, you got a Contemptor, you know. I don't even think players are asking for like a fully articulated contemporary, which would be nice in plastic, but I, I don't think we're like the 40 K crowd as much where we're like demanding things, you yeah. know? And it, I mean, imagine, let's just say in a starter, let's just say basic stuff. They gave a Mark two unit, a Mark two assault, a Mark four assault and a Rhino. I think people would lose their minds. They'd be so happy, right? Just in basic stuff. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree. And some generic characters. Yeah, and some gener- maybe some Centurion level characters that they haven't done yet. Because here's the biggest thing. I mean, you if you throw out that nice breadcrumb, because heresy really blew up when people could be like, oh, okay, I, and here in the States, I don't have to spend $150 for a tactical squad. I can get one for 50 bucks. I'm in. Or I buy the starter for... 150 or whatever it was at the time and you get like 400 dollars worth of models that was an easy sell yeah um you know back when like rick and i first started it was like you buy three five-man squads then you have to buy their bolters then you'd have to buy their command it's like it was like 150 bucks a squad not everyone has that dis- you know that disposes in it uh what, what happened? i'm losing my mind now the uh um the income discretionary income to just throw $150 out. I mean, look at how much is an assault squad or you can't even buy Mark II now, yeah. but that Mark II kind of falls into that same category, right? Unless they're selling it in 10 man packs, you're now like 150 for a cool Mark II when you're like, well, I can buy three boxes of, you know, a Mark III, Mark IV combo in there. But I think what it does is it leaves that little breadcrumb for a hobbyist to come gulp that up and be like, oh, okay, so I have no problem paying 150 for a Spartan or something else. Um, and I think that changes may come, and I'm positive because especially like on Facebook with Forge World saying, hey, we're all about heresy. They're not going to be worrying about making rules for 40K. They're going to focus on the specialist game. So that gives me hope. 
Mm. Um, you know, especially if you look like the new Blood Bowl stuff coming out, you're like, could you imagine new Centurions with the technology they're rocking with to create that stuff? That'd be amazing. Yes, amazing. And like, like I said earlier, I think even if they brought, if they brought out uh, plastic assault marines, obviously as a Blood Angel player, I've got loads, but I'll guarantee I'll go out and buy them all again. Yeah, yes, of course. Well, and so in comparison, guys, just for you, how do you, your Blood Angels tiers match up, or is that the assault unit? I'm not totally misremembering An- Angel that. T- Angel tiers. A- Angel, Angel tiers, how do they look compared to your size-wise compared, not the base on there, but just model bulk-wise compared to your assault brains? Uh. To be fair, I don't think there's too much of a difference. Um, just I could go and get one and have a look, but I don't because most most of my uh, troops now, uh, tactical marines, are all plastic. You know, I have got resin ones, but I just use the plastic uh, troops now. They are. A bit wider, you know, a bit more bulky than the Mark IV uh, resin. But when you consider the two different units, I think on the tabletop it's not really noticeable because they are, if those to integrate, then that's a bit, it, it's a difference there. But I think obviously as players, when they're, you know, what, two foot away for you on a table, you don't really notice these things. It's, it's like painting, isn't it? What you look at in front of your face, you might think, oh, I haven't done this very well. But you'll look awesome on the tabletop because you can't see that level of detail. I think the Angel Tears, they are more bulky, uh, but when they're on the tabletop, I don't think you notice it quite as much is what you'd think i think if they had the plastic uh assault marines yes it would look a lot more uniformed but i don't i don't see it as a problem i i wouldn't get sleepless nights over it that's for sure so having discussed the, the different marks of armor that there are just really quickly, um, in terms of the Legion-specific torsos, what, what are people's favourites? So for me, the Death Guard ones, the Mark III Death Guard, I think are fantastic and can actually be used by so many other different Legions just to face it and give a different take on armour. It looks really industrial and, and that their torsos really do fit with the Mark III feel. Um, Anyone else got any favourites? I'm looking them all yeah. up now, so I can just confirm. Uh, for me, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that work uh, with some, certain legions about uh, varying anywhere from Mark IV, like we said, to Emperor's Children, Mark III to Death Guard. There's a lot of things that can work. 
I think it just comes down to what you want too, because you do have that flexibility with heresy. That's, I think that's the great thing. Like if you want to do a Mark three white scars, do it. There's, there's storyline that is available for you to do that. No, uh, that makes sense. Yeah, I just wondered if there was a, a specific torso design that you thought, wow, that's, that's pretty damn epic. It's weird. So if you look, because I mixed them, if you look at the old Death Guard Mark III Forge World, they actually look, except for the skull one, looks really good on Iron Hands. Yeah. So I have some of all my Iron Hands uh, broken down that way. I, I agree. I, I use them on my Sons of Horus. I think they are, as I say, I think that Mark III set of torso upgrades for Death Guard are, are one of the best... Um, Utilitarian. It's the same with their Contempt of Dreadnought, actually. Their Contempt of Dreadnought, these are specifically Contempt of Dreadnought, can be converted into many ones. It just really fits with the Crusade slash Heresy feel, I think, unlike some of the others. But yeah. Gaz, do you have a specific one that you like? Uh, I mean, they're, they're slowly getting rid of the torsos now, aren't they? Which I think is a massive shame. Because mm. I think with the torsos, the helmets, I think he really adds a nice bit of character to the armies. I think with uh, making your sergeants with one of them, it just it stands them out more. I mean, it, I don't know. I think the Dark Angel ones are very cool. Uh, but then I think the iron iron hands you know they look they used to look really good I don't think you can get them anymore though can you I don't know haven't looked for iron hands for a long time no I don't like I say I, I believe I might be totally wrong now but I believe the torsos they normally do them when you get uh, the release but I'm just gone onto Forge World website now, and I can't find them. I know when I was in the store the other day, they had some, but that's why I, I do wonder if it's one of them. They are slowly getting rid of them. I think mean, they've gotten rid of most of them. Yeah, to be I honest, mean, the uh, Thousand Suns was really nice ones. Hmm. But yeah, I think I think they do like an initial release, don't they? Of all all the uh, legions in that whichever black book they've just released, and then they slowly fade away. I mean, if you go onto some of the uh, trading sites, you you always have see people after uh, helmets or the torsos. But, I mean, I know most of the Mark III shoulder pads, they've gone of all the different legions as well, haven't they? It's normally only Mark IV if you want your chap uh, legion symbol on them. But, yeah, I'm, I'm on the Forge World website, and they're all gone. Well, that, is a, that is a real shame. As, <clears throat> unless I'm missing them, but, you know, I've gone into the heresy... 
all heresy models and they're not coming up. Cool. Well, I think we'll uh, we'll wrap it up there, guys. I think we've discussed the seven marks of armor that around during the time of the heresy, excluding tactical dreadnought armor. We will do that. Uh, uh, whole that's a whole other rabbit hole. Uh, and isn't it just? Well, just give it a, give a teaser then. Which one is your favorite, Cataphracti or Tartarus? Cataphracti. Tartarus for me. Well, by the time we might have Saturnine, if ever if the fans have it their way. Oh, here we are. Yeah. So it depends if the fans, uh, the fans beat down the doors enough. Yeah. You know, Ford World may listen. I think that'd be one. Uh, as soon as that got released, it'd be sold out virtually straight away, wouldn't it? Imagine it would be. Um, before we do go, there was a question posted to us on the uh, on the Facebook page by all round friend of the show, son of the lion, which is why I think he has a mane for his haircut. Uh, Lewis, and Lewis asks us, um, uh, what do we think Sky Seekers might be from the new? Uh, the reveal of book nine and the contents page. So, what do we think Skyseekers might be? Do you think there might be a firewing unit, or, or what do you think the firewing unit might be? Sorry. So, Skyseekers and firewing units. What are people's thoughts? Go on, Kyle. You must be in the night now. So, under the dark, dark angels, we get something called firewing. Martis Cabal, uh, and then generically, legions are going to get something called a Legion Jet Bike Sky Seeker Squadron. I'm just wondering what you think it might be. Um, I mean, it's going to be weird because a new book's going to come out. You're going to have a lot of things with the wings and everything that are going to be explained, and maybe it's an air unit, you know, maybe it's something. That we haven't seen like how does it revolve around raven wing or you know there's gonna be so many dread wing who knows right yeah i mean that's the best mystery yeah so, so i mean to me anything with cabal in it sounds like psychers the enigma so maybe it's some sort of weird librarius or trainee librarius unit that'd be pretty cool you know you'd have a I don't know. Uh, I can't remember the, all the ranks. Codicia, that's a and then Epistolary. I can't remember which one's which, but like, if you had all the junior librarians being led by a senior librarian, that'd be quite a cool little unit, almost Green Knight-esque. Might be something that, they, that the Dark Angels would have. And in terms of a jetpack, Sky Seeker Squadron, oh, I don't know. Sure, guys, you sound like you, you had a view. Well, I think you've really got... It's got to be something different to what we've seen before, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. So, when you think Jetbike's Skyseeker Squadron, you, it's... I mean, looking at the ones we've got now, we've already got a heavy attack one. 
with you know with melt multi melters something to take out tanks we've all the standard one is perfectly good for mowing down troops so are we going to see a close combat one or like you say one that can take down flyers you know ones with flak missiles or maybe they fly themselves and they follow rules of a squadron that flies i mean that's nothing like that's really in the game if you think about it hmm. or maybe just thinking about the dark angels that are in the book the sort of template that you might have for them that you could use in the 40k raven wing or certainly in the old 40k raven wing you could have a squad of uh bikes with a jet bike what if it was some sort of jet bike squad with a um with a land speeder attached to it yeah like the old uh i think that was fifth edition you could do that maybe it's fifth edition fifth or sixth edition you could do that yeah you, one of the editions we you'd have the ravenwing bikes and the um land speeder attached to them maybe that's what that could be that'd be pretty cool or jet bikes and a speeder attached to it yes sorry jet bikes with, with a, yeah. yeah that'd be pretty good so you'd have a the land speeder has the fire base and the bikes and, yeah maybe that might work what about a two-seater one <laughs> two-seater jet bike yeah so you'd have one like a, like an attack bike jet bike or like yeah like nuts be... to butt nuts to butts bike just just <laughs> just a man with uh just hanging out off the edge with a sword just mowing down all the uh <laughs> i know but i, I want to walk down this path are we talking like guy in front guy right behind him like holding his waist riding or is it like a cockpit off to the side i think it what one in front of the other I mean, have, have we seen anything in the old uh, Rogue Trader art? Because there's so much in there that they haven't touched on. Wow, yeah. Um, I, I know what you're talking about, like one's riding and then one guy's like kind of standing up and then like swinging a sword, right? Yeah. Is that one you're kind of talking about? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's viable, but maybe... An attack bike in sky in the sky, maybe I don't know. I, the jet with the jet bike. To be honest, bike. I think it's going to be an anti-fly unit yeah. purely because if you want to run all jet bikes, then you do start to struggle against flyers. Yeah, I think it's got to be something with either flak missiles uh, or do you know the maybe the cluster missile launcher that you have on the Xiphon, you know, something of a similar ilk on a jet bike. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Or ma maybe you'll have some kind of special rule where it gets kind of like a flight mode, like a flyer. Hmm. Yeah, maybe, who knows? Cheers for the question, Lewis. Because mm. <laughs> when he says Sky Seeker, it's, to me, that just screams something, uh, an anti-flyer to me. Yeah. 
or maybe it builds on the seekers and it's somewhat it's an ability to get your jet bikes in and they target an individual unit and that's their one specific mission is to kill that one type of person that either that person or type of unit or whatever it might be maybe that's what maybe that's what it refers to i'm just excited to see book nine and find out mm. so. i think it's it's got to be something to uh help with the firewing i'd have thought yeah well it's generic for all legions so yeah but normally they once they release something even though it's generic it it'll have a uh it's a double sell isn't it they can say oh this is great for your uh dark angels but other legions can use you as well yeah we'll see we'll see next, next month we'll soon find out Not really. Any final words, Carl? Uh, yeah, I just want to say thank you guys for letting me come and hang out in your house and, and talk and shoot the shit about heresy. It's been nice and kind of refreshing. I haven't done that in a long time, besides Rick and I just arguing about stuff. Well, you're always then, welcome you know, back. Yeah, well, you know, when it, when, when it fits, when the schedule fits, I have no problem. Um, you know, if you guys want to have me back, I do appreciate it, though. It's uh, it was fun. It's been a while. It's been too long. It's good to hear you back yeah. on your waves. I don't uh, know if you heard my son. He came in one of these like, Dad, I have no shirt and pants on. I was like, I know I can tell, buddy. I got gotcha. you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it was a funny moment. Funny moment. We'll leave that in as well. 